Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode number 27 for December 8th, 2023. Today we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klopik. Hi. And returning to us from the wilderness, Renata Price. Hello. Hi and howdy and hello. As always, we're a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. In addition to a review of Highland Song from Lewis Gordon and an analysis of John Romero's autobiography from Duncan Fife with incredible art from Connor Fawcett, our website also has links to our memberful page where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans that give you access to exclusive Remap content and help keep us going as a team and publishing stories like what I just mentioned. Uh, now, usually I just get straight into topics from here, but there was an email that came in that was so exciting, that tickled me so much. I just wanted to get right into it. I need to, I need wow. to share this with you all. The structure of the podcast has been thrown out because of the power of this email. I'm excited. Breaking news. Ian writes... Last week, Rob speculated what the experience of seeing Alien's slow burn intro without the context of it being a creature movie would be like for a brand new viewer. Long ago, I had an arguably even more escalated version of this experience that shook me to my core. In my (laughs) senior year of high school, my beleaguered science teacher decided it was movie day and that for today's class, we would watch Contact. I never heard Uh of the film before. And without any further context from the teacher, in my 17-year-old naivete, I presumed any film we'd be watching in class would presumably contain some sort of educational payload. The fact that the opening of the film was grounded in real-life programs that I recognized, such as SETI, and filmed at real installations like Arecibo, led me to believe I was watching a Jodie Foster-fronted docudrama about a real-life woman who had broken barriers in astrophysics. (laughs) What followed after the first 30-odd minutes was one of the most surreal brain-melting experiences of my sleep-deprived teenage life, as it slowly unfolded into speculative fiction about first contact with an alien species, including such jarring sequences as radio transmissions pivoting from innocuous math problems to alarmingly recordings of Hitler's speeches and instructions exhorting humanity to build some kind of fucked up giant ring machine. Eventually I grasped that I was watching some fairly out and out science fiction settled in to experience the rest of the film. But for a 10 to 20 minute period as the plot got going in earnest, I genuinely thought I was losing my mind. I do not know if I can recommend the experience, but it certainly stuck with me in the decades since. So, fun fact, this is actually a a, a wild coincidence. I actually just watched Contact for the first time, like, two nights ago. 
Great movie! Wow, what a what a what a tremendous fucking film! One of my all time favorites. Like I, I probably in my top ten favorite films ever. Probably. Yeah, I I would say that it on, after seeing it, it's honestly up there for me. I think that that movie has some such fun things to like say about faith. I think that's that's such a fun little movie. Ugh, I think it's I think it's I think it's I think it's neat. Um, because my that's my twenty years too late contact take. Well, and the thing is, like, I don't know when they started doing this, but I do remember, like, I think Discovery Channel or something, or maybe it was, like, I don't think it's History Channel, but, like, you remember, like, there was this trend of making really lavishly produced docudramas, like, really good, not, like, yeah. uh, real stories of the Highway Patrol dog shit, like, mm-hmm. in, like recreations of crimes and stuff, but, like, basically shooting, like, prestige TV-grade sequences, uh, like, dramatizations of, like, historical events, and then cuts to, like, talking heads and, like, historical context. Oh, like, different from, like, the Vikings era of Discovery, where, like, Discovery was doing, like, full production, like, full, like, television. It's like, serial like, TV. Yeah, serial TV. Yeah, no, this is, so like, this before is they go to era. full, like, Got yeah, it. before, like, it's full, like, fictionalized TV. Like, I remember, I feel like once when I was in college, I, I was watching a thing that was basically a dramatization of the early days of the space race and, like, the kickoff of the uh, Soviet and United States, like, uh, space rocketry programs. Mm-hmm. And in between, like, interview sequences and, like, you know, your usual documentary stuff, you had, like, this really, like, top-flight production of, you know, basically, like, Soviet right, the right stuff uh, that, that they were making. It was really, really weird, but, like, kind of compelling. Uh, and How I feel long like they don't did make this era last? I don't like, I only remember a couple films this way. Uh like but I think it was probably transitional, you know, like a a, a four or five year period. I was going to say because like I I know this style that you're talking about, but in my experience it always looks like dog water. And so I'm wondering <laughs> if like I have seen the like post years of the uh, years of the style degrading from the original like oh cool we can do this with like a large budget to them being like how stripped down can we get this format and like still get i'm wondering if like i saw the tail end of that yeah. era then as when well, i was like a when i was a young person all the interest in doing stuff like that like why would you do that when you could you could just make the crown you know like, <laughs> just, just do that uh and mm-hmm. make a lot of money mm-hmm. so i suspect like it you know you end up in this kind of weird zone where you're not a documentary you're not a prestige drama, so what the hell are you? Well, Netflix does this sometimes. Like I just watched. Uh, uh, oh, that's true. true that, they're series. the ones making do, it these yeah, days. They right. do a ton of like these. That awful with true Rome crime. documentary. Yes, uh, that <laughs> Rome documentary. They have so many bad true crime documentaries on Netflix. That's remarkable. Netflix um, really leaned into like the sleaze documentary. Vibe. They did. Well, yeah, because like the thing that I watched was uh, the documentary about uh, the uh, Bling Ring, which was the group of like teenage mm-hmm. thieves. So I watched the documentary that Netflix I think I just made rather about watch the them. Coppola film. Honestly, it was actually like pretty That's good. That's the one with Emma Watson, right? Where she yeah. like, plays like yeah. yeah, I've heard that movie was I haven't seen it, but it was surprisingly good. I fell uh hook, line, and sinker for the Blair Witch Project. I was thir- I was thirteen when it came out. <laughs> opening crawl <laughs> to that film. In October of nineteen ninety four, three student filmmakers disappeared into the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. It is impossible to convey what the marketing was for that film what the era of the internet was. It seems so, so silly in 2023. Is it possible to convince people they had put real life crime footage in a cut up pseudo documentary and then you paid, paid tickets for it in theaters. But that was the marketing for the film. Was that, Hey, 
these three kids went into the woods. Something fucked up happens. You want to find out? And at 13, I did. I remember distinctly looking over to my dad at the end of the movie. I mean, the end of that movie <clears> is <throat> fucking horrifying. Um, yeah. An all-timer. He's like, Dad, why would they Why would they let people, why would they show this in the movie theaters? <laughs> then explain to me, like, like son, you know, I, I, shut the fuck up, you idiot. Um, uh, uh, but I, uh, they did, that was the era of, like, ARGs, like, before they were labeled as such. There were uh, lore documentaries that were on, like, the sci-fi channel. Like, I fell for the entire marketing apparatus. And I, if you'd asked me at the time, like, do you think that's real? I'd probably say no. But there'd be a slight hesitation in my voice because I think I wanted to buy into it because mm. it was more exciting oh, yeah. as like, oh, my God, like, what if like this horror film had come to life and I could go see like I I wanted to like much like the X-Files, I wanted to believe and the era of the Internet, the like ingenious level of the marketing, the genius level of the film, like filmmaking in that movie itself all collided for a 13 year old to convince themselves yeah, I think this shit's real. Like, I think this might have happened. And I every time I revisit that film, I mean, I still love it. I think I still adore that movie. It's one of my my all-time favorites. I am able to go back to that place a little bit, like emotionally, because the movie struck such a strong emotional chord at such a formative age where at 13, like, your brain's coming online to, you know, like Santa's <laughs> behind you. You know, like, there are certain things that, like, you're, you're turning online as a person, but not everything. Not everything. You're still like very suggestible. And that movie hit me right at the age where much like a a contact situation, I was just like, well, okay, seems kind of fucked up that they did this, but pretty interesting film. Can't believe I've ever heard about these kids. This is wild. I know, how is this not in the news? But they uh, had the missing posters. Like, the missing posters for the kids were part of the marketing. You would find that. At, that was, like, the street team era. You would just see those right. on, like, uh, like phone posts. Like, just like you would see, like, a missing fucking cat. And it's also, like, have you seen the Birkinsville 3? <laughs> what? No, I haven't. Why is no one on CNN talking about the creature? Every day I walk out of my home, I stop people on the street and I say, why is CNN not talking about the creature? I've seen, I've seen several Godzilla films and I'm very concerned. I feel like we need to be talking about on. this. Uh, all right. So let's get into some of the news. Uh, I feel like it, it you know, it, each one of these begins to sound like a broken record or a Groundhog Day situation, but it continues to be a grim year in uh, games as this week, well-regarded Australian game developer uh, League of Geeks, the studio behind Armello uh, and currently working on or was working on Jump Light Odyssey and is currently working on Solium Infernum, uh, announced they were laying off the Jump Light Odyssey team along with half the long-running studio. Uh there were a lot of factors that um, the the head of the company I think was I think it was Trent Coosters uh, like was the one who released the statement about like the various uh, yeah, factors. It's worth, yeah, it's worth re- reading some of this because yeah. I, I think relative. What's important about this is relative to how other incidents like this, where there have been deep layoffs and uh, uh, like a lot of financial turmoil, this one has been greeted with a lot of. Um, like sadness in which like the people behind this studio have been seen, like have been revered as people who tried to do it right. Like have yeah. tried to run a good studio, have tried to treat their, their employees fairly, have tried to not sell out and just like run a good company that treats 
its workers well and like can keep making games. And so if like these situations can come for them, what does it say about the broader state of the industry? So I'll, re- I'll read a bit from the 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 um the, the statement they released. Um, for almost 15 years, League of Geeks has been home to some of the most talented and brilliant folks in the industry. This week, we've had to say goodbye to many of them. Rapidly rising operation costs, a weakening uh, Australian dollar, poor early access sales, and the unprecedented withdrawal of funding opportunities across the industry placed us in a position where we could no longer afford to cover development costs. As a result, we had to make the impossible decision to pause development indefinitely on Jumplate Odyssey. More than 50% of our studio has been impacted by redundancies, including the entire Jumplate Odyssey team, meaning plans we had to get the game to full release, including plans for PS5 and Xbox, have been put on hold indefinitely. This decision will not impact the launcher quality of Solium Infernum as we continue to work to work towards a February 14 release, nor will it affect the existing support we offer Armello and its players. You can find more information, including a fact and a link to all the staff who are affected and their roles within this thread. We wholeheartedly recommend each and every single League of Geeks member we ha- uh, we've had to say goodbye to. So if you're in a position to signal boost or hire them, please do so. We are devastated to be in this position. We've done everything in our power to avoid it. We are so very sorry. And then... I'd point you towards like games industry biz and like the, 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 the folks at the studio have gone on the record with a number of outlets to like better explain how we arrived here. Um, I, honestly, the, the thing that jumps out to me the most in this, um, which frankly were things that Ren, you were talking about as, as you were making your transition to development is this unprecedented withdrawal of funding opportunities across the industry, um, which the, the squeeze is on, Get, like a lot of game development that falls within the like one to five million dollar range. It's it. There's a squeeze broadly, but that there's a specific size of game that is having difficulty getting financial traction. And I think there were a, a series of of factors here, but that one sticks out because it's what a lot of developers who responded to this were also pointing to as like raising their hands, going, "Yeah, it's really hard to find money for a certain size of game right now." and it's leading to a lot of difficult questions like this. Well, and, and one of the really frustrating things here is that like I'm, you know, looking at this PC Gamer article, just this, there's this quote here. Cooster uh, went on to list the factors leading to the layoffs, adding that in a budget con- contingency, you allow for random external factors like this, but all of them increasing at such unprecedented levels was not something we could ever hope to plan for. In the last six months, all funding and investment has evaporated from the industry, and the only projects being backed right now are surefire guaranteed hits. And like, I would like to kind of like tie that idea to what you were saying earlier about the idea of this as a studio that like the pitch was that like it treats its employees well right and one of the things that i'll say is that like if you combine the fact that like what are this is the standard industry practice right now in in games which is crunch and like pretty shitty working conditions if studios are if, if publishers are only taking chances on things with like surefire hits or like sure, quote unquote surefire guaranteed hits that also means like production styles that they believe are surefire guaranteed hits, which means that like you're going to see a lot, the chances are you're going to see a lot of studios who are trying to do these um, like these uh, new funding strategies or new management strategies being hit particularly hard by all of this because they're like the riskiest investments in the industry. And so like the thing that I would, I would note for people is that like, that I would hope to remind people is that like a lot of these, if this happens to a lot of studios that have a shape like this, it is not like 
the shape that is wrong, but it is like the structure of the industry around that shape that is putting the squeeze on like these particular styles of development houses, like Patrick was saying, in the one to five million dollar range, which is also the range that you're going to be budgeting for a team that has enough people where like having a real management structure or trying a new management structure would actually be relevant. Um, and so it's just really heartbreaking to see the squeeze hitting smaller or like more unique development houses, like particularly hard. Yeah. It's um, like, there's one other statement that I think I saw. I can't, I can't find the the source of this quote, but I think uh, Coosters was also talking about uh, the fact that in retrospect, they regretted not taking the funding when they didn't need it, when funding was easier to come by during COVID. Uh, right. So like there, there's like, over COVID, when when video games spike in interest because of the circumstances of a lot of people at home with extra free time, it also spiked a lot. of it, The money was also cheaper, right, due to uh, a lot of actions being taken by by the government to make money easier to pass around. And then games become a very, like even more popular than usual. Uh, that's why so many acquisitions like Embracer, other things are are emboldened by those circumstances. And I think they had mentioned like they had an opportunity to either take it a huge capital investment or sell. And they chose to turn it down because they were, there are a lot like, look at what's happening with Bungie. You know what I mean? Like there are, there are things that go along with uh, going down that path as, um, as attractive as the money can be. But I believe that quote might've ended with like, we actually probably should have taken the money and just, if that, 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 the yeah, problems like of his, that one door, of his learnings was you, you take funding when you don't need it. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know, though. Like, it depends on the strengths, right? Like, maybe you can secure better terms, but I, I think there's a world where the, this crunch maybe doesn't or this cash crunch, uh, this investment crunch doesn't happen. And you do you you follow that policy and you still end up with, OK, well, now you've let some people in the door uh, that you don't want. Like, it's just the the pressure on indies operating a certain scale is just so intense. Well, also, like, you know, we're we're, we're starting to see whispers of, like, you know, games being canceled mid production or like publishing not games being canceled but publishing contracts being canceled mid production uh so it's not even like money is just disappearing in terms of like it's hard to get funding it is also increasingly becoming hard for for development studios to keep the funding that they have already secured and so like i understand like the the, the wish to take money when it was offered and i think that's probably you know given the circumstances probably would have been the right call but the other anxiety is that like you know, you can take the money and then it can be pulled away because, you know, the, the industry is shifting to such a conservative model where you're having publishers being like, well, you know, this game didn't technically meet. Uh, I believe like the, I, there was a thread, I think, by I believe Rami Ishmael, like talking about uh, developers who he'd been speaking to uh, who had repeatedly said that like mock reviews or feedback were being used to basically like argue that publishing contracts had been voided by failing to meet uh like agreed upon uh deliverables basically and and quality being like a new a new measurement there and so like even if you get that funding that funding can be pulled by you know a publisher who who loses faith in a project in a really messy economy and so like even that is not a guarantee and you know as we've seen with like places like Bandcamp and stuff like that, like the, the the choice to sell to a big company for security can break bad really fucking quick. Well, it's secure for a select group of people, exactly. Right? Like yeah. the security is is who makes 
an enormous sum of money at the at the point of sale. It's not necessarily security for like anyone down exactly. down the chain. To to the point, I think it's this uh, games as we biz article, uh, Rob, that you are you are thinking of where. Um, uh, Custer's goes into great detail. Uh, it's called League of Geeks. We'll fight to the last breath if people want to read through the whole thing. I think it's worth doing. But in ter- it's, it, I think this quote is worth uh, unpacking. Um, so there was a, a moment when they were looking for additional funding. Um, and so we picked a series of partners we would want to work with. And we were having those conversations, and they went very well. And basically, we got the studio to a point where we were nearing a $60 million evaluation, getting an injection that's a portion of that. They would ensure the security of the studio through 2028, essentially. Side note, like, League of Geeks, even if you're not familiar with Ermelo and the games where like they are essentially like the one of the largest publishers, one of the largest entities in Australia specifically. And so like they even if you're not familiar with their work, like they have a huge imprint uh, in, in the region specifically. There'd be a lot of reason that folks would want to work with them anyway. Um, the exact team uh, League of Geeks got terms, uh, got things to a term sheet with two potential partners with Custer's describes as, quote, some of the biggest video game companies in the world. We were talking to them, very excited, and then one of them peels off from the negotiation, and they say vague stuff like, we've got a lot of investments to digest, and we're going to come back in the new year, or something like that. And basically, it becomes about timing. We were told uh, we told them that part of the money that we were investing was to solve this cash flow gap. It's not like the company was hemorrhaging money. It was just a funding gap that once it's plugged, we then move on. But the potential investor uh, just said they couldn't work to League of Geeks' deadline anymore and pulled out saying they were slowing down investments. Quote, then a week or two later, the final partner we're working with pulled out as well, basically stating that their entire investment process internally had changed, that it was now a multi-stage process, and they were actually not doing any investments for the rest of the year. And this is one of the major investors in the international industry. And we were just like, holy fuck, we've been talking to these parties for years. So it's not like we didn't know them. We knew the market was a bit weird, but for things to just drop off, it definitely surprised us. And we went, okay, shit, now we still have our cash gap, and we got to do something about it. Um, and I think that speaks to like a lot of the chatter I've seen from a lot of developers who are out there looking for funding. You can be established. You can have a track record. You can ha- point to like, look, we pitch games. They come out reasonably on time and within budget and scope in the way that and that that might not matter. Like the squeeze is such that um, these surefire hits, which then lead to you know, Ren, as you say, well, why should you offer profit sharing? Like, what if you didn't? Uh, why would we do four days a week? Like, if you could carve, if you can, if you can crunch your pitch from four million to three million, well, maybe you get ahead of the pitch behind you, and like you secure that three million. And well, this isn't the way we want to run the studio, but the, you know, the door number two is the studio doesn't exist anymore. Ends up in such a compromised state. Um, you know, it's those are those are really challenging and unfortunate questions, especially when you have folks that are trying to do right, um, like Le- by by all accounts, League of Geeks was was trying to do. Yeah, it's it's incredibly distressing. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I think one thing you wonder about, too, is just part of it is all, like I've heard a theory that, like, because financial markets are so seamless now that, like, Money can kind of flow anywhere. Like, like the issue with like trying to fundraise uh, investment in anything is that you're competing with every other type of investment money could be used to make. And so it's not like there are, you know, if you think about like the old school model of like, I don't know when you, you know, maybe this is early games industry, but really it's, it's the case in a lot of like, uh, 
you know, uh, development developmental periods in industries where like there are investors who kind of operate funding and looking for opportunities within like this industry within like you're looking for which projects to fund, but you're looking at game projects, right? Like which, which games we're going to pick up this, this notion now that like the financial markets change and those investors are just like, well, we're just not going to fund games right now. Like we're, we're just going to have that money go elsewhere because it can, Uh, you know, the money we'd be allocating to this portfolio can be, it can be invested seamlessly in other areas. So why would we put it, into something as why take the risk? Yeah, relatively risky as this. Yeah, um, yeah, and the you know you, you alluded to it, the Bungie story, uh, which would have seemed like it was a it would be a thing that brings Bungie a lot of security. Obviously, we had major layoffs there earlier this fall, but yeah, IGN just published a story about the overall vibe of Bungie right now post those layoffs and where things stand with Sony. And it does not sound good. No, it's a a great piece by Rebecca Valentine over at IGN um, titled uh, Bungie devs say atmosphere is quote, soul crushing amid layoffs, cuts and fear of a total Sony takeover. Um, I mean, like a real through line of this story is did Bungie pull a fast one on Sony and essentially sell their company at the heights of overvaluations and like Sony now find themselves with a studio that may have been poorly run from a a financing standpoint and now is struggling to like bring, you know, destiny Two and as it stands in, in for a landing, it's a, it's a really fascinating (coughs) question, but the, you know, as we, you know, said before talking about like a band camp, well, the people that, if they did pull a fast one on Sony and like kind of get an overvaluation, like it's the people in QA aren't the ones that like made a bunch of money. Like I, I forget the specifics on this from that. I think were from Jason Triers or like there was some reporting coming out of Bungie during those layoffs, but that essentially whatever sort of like not profit sharing, but you know, like what you can make off of a sale, like that has to, uh, what do you call it? What's it where, like over the course of the years, it, it uh, you know, you accrue, I forget the term, like what I'm not, yeah. Yeah, it's got a vest over time. And like, if you lose your, like those people lost those vesting opportunities because you got to remain an employee for it to vest. And so they may have had an opportunity to make money over time, but if you were laid off, whoop, like that, that doesn't stick with you. Like that goes back to the studio. Um, And like, it's really worth reading this entire story from, from Rebecca Valentine, but it, like, there's lots of interesting specifics about how like Sony and Bungie uh, share board space and that there appear appears to be sort of like Sony is, is going to allow Bungie to maintain their independence in, like in so long as they hit certain financial targets what exactly those targets are remains sort of murky but it, there appears to be a clause in their the, the the contract when they sold the company that like hey as long as you just keep you keep doing what you're doing according to the way you say you're going to do it we'll leave you alone and these layoffs, which apparently were Bungie initiated, not Sony initiated, um, ongoing issues with running Destiny 2 as a live service uh, have resulted in a studio that may find itself, like, how many times has Bungie sold, gone independent, sold, gone independent, and now finds itself in a similar situation where they may have sold to Sony in order to save themselves, but ultimately, what kind of studio is going to be there at the end because what uh, what Rebecca describes in the story is one where 
the executives seem just woefully inadequate to meet the problems that the studio is facing, the headwinds that Destiny as a franchise has. Um, and it runs everything from, you know, taking taking away like, you know, the holiday bonus guarantees, like sort of like perks of like coming into the office um, to like speaking uh, to QA folks as not being developers. Um, this kind of stuff that we normally associate with um, like social media Jesus. trash goblins, not the folks that are like running one of the most high profile like often broadly revered sort of studio for the kinds of games they make. And like it, you know, I'll leave it here. Like if, if Bungie's point is that they need to make a bunch of money to remain independent, they just laid off a bunch of people. They just delayed the culmination of their storytelling for the past 10 years by like four or five months. And they're going to somehow fill that content gap in between with less people while those same people are also trying to make the final shape good enough to hit these like these revenue targets or maintain their independence. That, my friends, is a fucking toxic stew. Mm-hmm. And I it seems like Destiny itself is I don't think it's going anywhere, but it's the players are going to fall off a cliff while they wait for the final shape. Does that just create a loop of additional layoffs to create cost savings in order to maintain Bungie's independence and and keep Sony leadership at bay? It, it's just it's, it's it sounds awful. Yeah, I, I don't think we've ever gotten clear numbers from Bungie about what the past past the the current model where it's like you can buy basically a whole year's worth of content up front, like you pay for the deluxe edition at the beginning of the year when the big expansion happens. And then you have all the content, right? Like you don't have to give, Bungie they don't do an MMO. Money. They're an MMO without an MMO. Without the, so the, yeah, it's like you, you kind of, it's not exactly as much as current other current MMOs, but like in theory, the, 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 the deluxe package is like, you're just spending the sub upfront, right? Like you're, you're paying for the year instead of paying monthly. But, uh, uh, they also, I feel like, really leaned on um, uh, their cosmetic microtransactions, and I've never heard good numbers. And I feel like if they ha- had ever had good numbers, they probably would have touted those, right? Like, companies tend to, when something does well, they tend to talk about it. And you, you we never hear about how good the Eververse store is doing. Um, <laughs> well, because it would probably be pretty gross, right? Like, that, I mean, that's the, the I mean, other thing. Part of the but story even, of Destiny is... Even in like, is, uh, is, in, like, shareholder meetings and shit where that stuff is, tends to come out, right? Where, like that's the one spot where they want to like pull out the good numbers. Like you'd never really hear about it. Um, and like the, the, the thing that like really jumps out at me as like, uh, just like doubling down on how bad the, like the vibes are is this one, uh, part in the, in, in, uh, the story where someone is quoted as saying that during a Q and a at the company, uh, somebody asked the like the 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 person in the I forget hold on I'm trying to find it somebody you in the, the if layoffs are a lever we're gonna hit again no well, I'm talking about the 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 salary <laughs> no the another salary bad quote thing. Rob oh, <laughs> different one just like the 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 like oh if if the point was that we have to save money did did the C-suite take salary cuts then in order to Oh yeah, they, it was help. something to the effect of "we're not that kind of we're place. not that kind um, of place," yeah. which is like, yeah. what kind of like you've just let go of like a you know a hundred people, 
Uh, a lot of long timers. Uh, yeah, yes. people who have been there for like fucking um, the composer, which was wild mm-hmm. to me when I like looked up this how long he's been there. Um, but you can just make him a contractor, uh, Kato. That sounds a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, fuck. But like the idea, like like the 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 C suite always makes so much more than like QA positions, like. How much? How how much is of like how many uh possible jobs could have been saved if they took even just a little hit to their compensation? Who could say? It's I, they never even, well, even if it saved no jobs, right? It's it's like we're all to contrast hits. this, right? We're all compare and contrast. <laughs> like I, I, there's a um oh, there was a quote from Custer's that uh from League of Geeks um I'll see if I can find it, but essentially it was like whose fault is this? Ours. Mine. Yeah. We fucked up. Yeah. Like, yes. Are there a thousand external factors that have created a squeeze? Yes. But we could have done things differently and maybe it turned out better. Ultimately, the reason these people have lost their jobs is on us. And that can sometimes be a smokescreen where it's like you fall on your sword mm-hmm. so that it, uh, um, you know, it disguises the mistakes you've made along the way. But if we take you know, League of Geeks at their word based on the way other folks have talked about them. Like, it seems like people who are acknowledging that they made a series of mistakes that were compounded by the atmosphere around them. And the least you can do is acknowledge that. And here, like, I think part of what you're getting at is, do they save 100 jobs by taking less money? Probably not. But like, like jump in the ship with us. Right. You know what I mean? Like, acknowledge what's going on here. And I think there's a distinct lack of like it's like a true c-suite like it's somewhere else it's somewhere you're not else. on the same floor as us like like, like you're if not you want to talk about who isn't who is and isn't devs at that point right like right it's business people controlling a bunch of uh controlling a company that makes games and the devs being the ones that always have to take the brunt of any sort of layoffs or like squeezing and financially yeah and you, you hear you read a story like this and like to a degree there's a lot of anxiety of like, is Sony going to take over the studio? Would that be the worst thing? Maybe they should. Based on this. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you know, if, if the theory that like they sold high and it paid off well for the management team, but like to what degree has, to what degree like has, have Bungie successes, particularly like with Destiny, have those been like the successes of really savvy like management level stuff versus like very talented development work yeah. uh, that like making a game people like uh, maybe sometimes in spite of business model decisions <laughs> right. uh, and cadences like to a degree you can look at this and where is the value where was value lost in all this it would seem like this is you know the, the you know the, the, what the, this was cutting into bone in terms of in terms of the studio uh and yeah you got a management team that seems to have done that in part to try and avoid triggering some clauses in the deal they inked with sony mm-hmm. <sighs> now Kata, you, you did you have a different vibe about that no no mm. no that was that was yeah. agreeing yeah <laughs> uh i think one other thing I, I will note uh this comes up a little bit in the league of geek stuff um in the background i think of all this is the fact that like cost of living is just too fucking high mm-hmm. uh you know league of geeks is in melbourne uh i think melbourne is like either the most expensive market in australia after like it might be more expensive than sydney it's up there uh, but like 
growing anxiety in Australia about housing shortages, cost of living, etc. cetera. Uh, and this is one of the things that comes up is like their rent on their office spaces has kept going up. Uh, you know, what they have to pay employees keeps going up. And I would bet you one of the major drivers of like employee wages is what does it take for the employee to remain near that office? Uh, what does it take for the employee to remain like sh- housed in the markets where these where these games are made? Uh, and so I think the the other issue, this is sort of how the knock on effects of like the, the big macro issues in the economy can also knock on where it's like partly it's yes, investment money is dry, dried up. And then the flip side is it takes so much money now to earn a you know, subsistence level income in a major city. Um. I, I remember what I think what I, what you might have been reacting to me wanting to say early on in your earlier point about whether or not uh, this just being acquired by Sony would have been better. And I think I, I wanted to kind of ask, like, I don't know if this this obviously will change from company to company, but there there definitely is the fear that uh, when bought, the company gets gutted. Right. Um, which is a thing that. Some yeah. some companies tend to do. I don't know if Sony's in the habit of doing that with things that they acquire, but that's probably one of the the leading drivers in the anxiety of like, well, we shouldn't even consider that option. <laughs> and that fear would probably begin to dissipate the moment that it's my old management team that's been here forever decides to like blow away a huge portion of the company, <laughs> including some of like the, right, right. the the longest term hands. Like you know, I think this was kind of us advice, right? Where it's like we would have you know, really kind of pointless meetings after rounds of layoffs where it's like, well, are you going to, you know, is this going to get us to sustainability or maybe more layoffs? And it was just trying to pe- put people on record, but we both knew the answer. You know, they didn't know. Yeah. Like our, our executives were the last to know anything <laughs> except, uh, about like when it was time to, you know, basically loot the company. But the, the notion that there's a certain point where you just look at the people running things. It's like, you got no idea. Yeah. Like how to get out of this. You don't, you, and you have no juice. Like if you could, if you had the credibility with your backers to win their confidence to like continue funding the burn rate that's going and just like, tr- you know, trust the process, you would have done that, but clearly you don't. Well, I mean, like we're, we, we've kind of fallen into the situation where like at this point, like the best way to be an executive is just to be a fucking con man. Uh, and we live in a world where uh, you can just get enough money where being a con man stops having any consequences. Uh, and the way to do that is just by being a really good con man. Uh, and so basically every I, I, it's just when every single company that we interact with has the exact same fuck, we all describe the exact same fucking problems over and over again. It just becomes like increasingly clear that like, I, I, I don't know it. I just think that if like the, if the system always incentivizes this exact behavior, maybe yeah. that's an issue. Yeah, it's uh, the notion, especially that like people tend like there's a lot of like people get new roles for jobs they've had before because like, well, they clearly have experience in that. But at a certain level, particularly like the director and executive level, <laughs> there's some value in looking at like, so when you were running so when you were captaining the ship, what happened to that ship? <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you on it? 
No, 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 Rob. The captain's hat says captain on it, which is how you know that they're a good captain. Is yeah, because exactly. if they didn't have they the captain's the hat, hat, the hat, then they wouldn't have been a captain. Let's <laughs> be serious, folks. Uh, well, you know what always cures uh, the the doom and gloom around the games industry? Mm-hmm. The launch of a new Rockstar game. <laughs> That's always ah, good for a year of games are bigger than ever. We got to invest in this. Oh. Uh, and so Just take right big, on cue. Take a bit. Everyone take a big breath of rock star. <laughs> Try to ignore the scent of the rock star wives letter. The thing that basically reignited the conversation about labor issues in the game industry. And just take a, a big breath of that old fake Florida air. <laughs> Well, the problem is it can't it can't even drive all that much encouragement because it's like when the reveal was it was 2025. I was like, ah, fuck. All the articles I saw after it was like, well, damn, revenue target is going to really be down in 2024 because unfortunately GTA 6 is coming in 2025. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the trailer, the, tra- the first trailer for GTA 6 uh, arrived, uh, as we all expected, with uh, a bunch of Bitcoin uh, branding um, on our favorite social media platform where everyone is having the conversation um <laughs> like uh rockstar had planned for the first trailer to come out on a, a tuesday morning and it ended up leaking on 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 twitter on an x on on a monday evening uh to much the uh you know the frustration of a lot of i was surprised how many rockstar developers who like people who don't normally talk about their work i mean there was just recently that uh that old school rockstar developer who had been there for like GTA three and vice city had been doing a blog explaining just how they made those games. Little like explaining agent, like a mysterious rockstar production that no one knew very much about explaining why does the moon get bigger and smaller in GTA vice city, I believe. And it's because like different teams on rockstar couldn't figure out how big they wanted the moon to be. So one of the developers program, one of the programmers made it. So if you shot the moon, it changed the size so they could just play with it in the world and see how big as it was. And then no, no one ever decided how big the moon should be. So they just left it in. You can shoot the moon and change the size. That's a fantastic detail. And then rockstar applied pressure to that person and said, please shut the fuck up and take those blogs down, which they did. And that sucks. What the fuck? Um, so that trailer, yeah. that trailer uh, leaks, uh, and then uh, Rockstar b- responds with just saying like, "Ah, well, here it is," and put it up on on YouTube early, as opposed to following through with their with their timing. But yeah, it's a like three minute video, largely doesn't show us gameplay. Um, and, you know, it's mostly you have to kind of infer what might be happening in the world, which is par for the course for. Rockstar trailers for Grand Theft Auto trailers, if you go back uh, to trailers for GTA 5, GTA 4, especially, this kind of follows in that line where, um, but if you, if those trailers did end up telling us a lot about where those games went, it's more something that you understand in hindsight, less so uh, picking out specific mechanics or character arcs um, that happen in the, in the trailers. But yeah, it's sort of a Bonnie and Clyde, we have a couple Um kind of on the run like uh these two two lovers uh that uh, one one's got an ankle bracelet uh, one doesn't one might be played by Troy Baker is what people are uh, <laughs> insinuating from one line of a dialogue towards the end but i don't know i don't have strong feelings about grand theft auto these days um but it is a 
fascinating cultural object and the visuals look fucking astounding. I mean, it looks absolutely amazing how it actually plays what it means for Rockstar to write culture when games take a decade to make for them. I don't know how all that lands, but yeah. I mean, Miami looks pretty good. Yeah. It looks like, like Miami. Games. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're and obviously they're leaning into the whole like <laughs> Florida, but you know, yeah. Florida. <laughs> you know, at the same time, Kato, like, Kato is a resident time, Florida. Florida. <laughs> yeah. Like, as a resident Florida person, how do you feel about this depiction of Florida in the GTA Six trailer? It, uh, I mean, yeah, yes, sure, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I lived a little bit north of all this business, so like, uh-huh. I didn't interact with it a ton, but. For the most part, it seems, yeah, someone pulling out a fucking alligator from a swimming pool. Yeah, that's a fucking Tuesday in Florida. <laughs> yeah, it it was, um, I think one thing that did, uh, you know, I, I will always get a little bit excited. Anything, anytime something gives me vague Kane and Lynch vibes, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, I come to attention. I'm like, all right, like show me more. Tell me what's going on here. The emphasis here on like the uh, live footage, live stream, like TikTok, like videos coming from in the world. Uh, maybe that's this is a real thing, or it's going to be like used in in-game c- cinematics. But like, if there's a an element of this game that's like we're going to shoot it through this, like, or, or your, the perspective is partly going to be through like the the mediated experience of reality via digital cameras and you know, social media. That's an interesting notion in the backdrop of this. Now, my suspicion is it being a rock star game, it's going to be like, wow, what an awesome intro. And then like <laughs> sound comes up, game loads. Sounds like a mic has just been left open on the side of a road near a freeway. And your character just starts going shuffle, shuffle, shuffle to a car and you drive to the next waypoint. Rob, I mean, how many how many points are you going to ding this game when it doesn't have the blood splatter effect from Kane and Lynch and Kane and Lynch 2, where it looks like someone just put a bunch of little circles on your screen? Just someone was carrying a bunch of transparent circles and kind of spilled them all over your screen until you can't see anymore. I want I want. Uh, yeah, actually, that would be that would make it. I think <laughs> that would make it for you. Be okay. like, this is <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm in it now. I'm, I'm here in Florida. I, with my with my girl. Just clarifying, is this the first time that GTA has returned to a city that had previously been set in the modern in era? The modern right, era, like yeah, G, like two D GTA. But those one of those was in London, right? Did they yes. revi- I, like one was in London? But yes, like this. It, it, yes, this is the first time like a like n- a, a, a numbered GTA in the like post GTA three, like when it becomes this version of Grand Theft Auto. That they because that's a big thing. Like ahead of a new Grand Theft, I was like, oh, where is it going to be set? And mm-hmm. so lots of speculation where they leave, you know, America behind, where they where they go somewhere else. And I think it's telling that they're choosing to revisit one of their more iconic locations. I think Vice City stands out as a one of people's favorites of Wait. that kind of trilogy of games from from that era. I mean, it was the one that I interacted with as like as a young person because like it was one that my my dad had on his PS2. Uh, and it was so my favorite was... soundtrack of all of all the like I. It's funny because I don't have any. I'm not a, I'm not a Michael Manhead. I don't have strong like uh, uh, a Miami Vice appreciation in me, but I think a lot of people do because so much of Michael Mann is in. Vice City, like a lot of what that is pulling from is specifically 
like the coolness of Miami Vice. And so in, in a way, millions of people are manheads. <laughs> like they just don't know it. Like you love Vice City. You actually do like, you love Michael Mann and his aesthetic. You're just not aware of it. Is, uh, I don't actually, I might be misremembering this, but is, isn't is uh, part of GTA Five. San Andreas. Los Santos is, yeah. The thing that was not clear to me is that I did not realize that San Andreas referred to the state of San Andreas, which is what GTA San Andreas refers to, in Uh, which Los Santos is a city. So it's not recreating the geography, right? No. It's just in a different part of that well, of that same, same area. Place? Yeah, okay. same thing with this in terms of like okay. Leonida versus Florida, right? So like I was the I thing gotcha. that I was that I was curious about is mm-hmm. if we had seen this very specific thing of returning to a particular location in an expanded form with the like with like modern writing. Because the thing that I'm curious is about is that like the the things that I remember about Vice City is like you know, a lot of like radio conversations and like a particular perspective on what Miami is or, you know, what Vice City is, at least in, in, in GTA, that like I am curious to see how that perspective has changed over the course of like what at this point, two decades um, because what like, it, go ahead. Sorry, I just saw that like, you know, I, I saw Ash Parrish, for example, like tweeting about like some like immediate racist backlash to like. GTA six is like depiction of like a lot of people of color, for example, in, in its fictionalized version of Florida. And so like the thing that I am curious about is like for a long time, GTA has had like a pretty cruel lens to its camera uh, in terms of like all, all characters that it's depicts. And I'm curious to see like if that lens has changed in the 20 years since vice city or how it will draw attention to the ways in that, like in which that lens has changed. That is the thing I am curious about, like looking at this from a distance. Well, th- yeah, that's that's what sort of what I mean is like, what is their th- their theory on American culture, right. and how do you how do you write that theory over the time scale that it takes to play these games? Because part of what what well, however you you know, we started to see this in GTA Five, right? Like it, like GTA Five itself was already feeling stretched from the culture it was commenting on relative to when it was released because of the time maybe some of that is bad writing or like and, and and but also i think that combines with just the like the length of time it takes to produce this like to have a specific cultural take on what is america right now well when did you begin writing it when did you begin writing that take i i that's what makes me like do they by like the very nature of game production at the scale that they're doing it now do you sort of have to lose specificity in what you're commenting on because there's no way to in, like to be specific when we were operating on like a seven to 10 year time scale at which you're building this thing out. Also, who are the writers? Who are the lead? Have they announced who the lead writers are on six? One of the Housers is still there, but one of the Housers is not there. Right. Um, and they also lost another lead. Like many of the leads that were on, I believe it was essentially a trio of writers that have been piloting Rockstar going back to GTA three onward. Um, and then a lot of that split after red dead redemption two. And so that could be a good thing. I think there were lots of parts about five that felt stale, um, and boring. And it's like, look, you want to take a shit on America. Got no problems with it. Like there's lots to pluck at, but I don't know. Five, five, like five was full of like, you know, like Facebook stuff and other things that just fell completely flat uh, that could could use uh, like some, frankly, to take Rob's word, juice. It, GTA could use some juice from a 
political, cultural, uh, criticism perspective. It should have, uh, other than the, the same three fucking writers that have been have been repeating the same exact fucking jokes for 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 two decades. I, I I've always been really fed up with the writing. That honestly, that's what like kept me away from the series has been the writing. For a really long time, because, like, my dad, like, liked to play it because he was, like, a big car guy, which is, like, not a big car guy, but a big car guy, like a Lincoln big car guy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like, car. like, like, like se- large cars. Like, I like a... And he cannot lie. I like it's a just... seventeen foot long car. No. I need, I, I need the longest. He's driving car limos and hearses around GTA. I, that's a. Hey, it's a long car. It was Lincoln's. He would find the Lincoln Town cars and just Hell like yeah. drive them around. I'm saying what my father is is still alive to clarify. But when he was playing GTA, right, sorry, right. <laughs> I should note that. But. Um, I was all to say that like he was a long car man, and so I had to listen to a lot of those fucking radios uh, in 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 GTA, and that that was always what held me away from the series. And so I would be curious to see like what does a differently written GTA actually look like, or is the script old? You know, is this game coming out in twenty twenty five, and the script was written back in twenty nineteen? I'll say this too, like. I'd have to go back and revisit some of these games because the problem is I feel like America turned into GTA in a way that I was like, <laughs> man, GTA is so fucking broad. This is stupid. And now I'm like, that, that might, that's pretty close to like, for instance, like <laughs> Matt, Ge- like Matt Geitz, uh, you know, the, the congressman from Florida, mm-hmm. uh, it's a GTA character, effectively the preposterous fucking hair, like the yeah. you know the general douchebaggery, the sketchy you know uh, allegations around him. Um, you know this is a this is effectively a GTA character, but also in reality is a fairly influential now. Uh, you know Republican, like this is just like this is where the culture has gone. Like it, it has become the like. <laughs> The United States sort of declined to GTA levels. And I think the parody is like in a weird way. I don't know. It's it, it's harder now to like satirize. Uh, not, that they, not that they were good at it before, but now like do you just like keep you can't keep pushing the dial uh, you know, like to to 11 on this because like the country's at 12. So the angle to to avoid kind of being repetitive and, and and a bit dull, like probably the angle would would need to shift, but we have not seen. Uh, I'm not sure we've seen a, a Rockstar game that really that really does that or or has curiosity to. I, I I guess one of the things is that like I I don't know if it. So like I guess the thing that GTA in my head. From my, from my understanding as an outsider, and I could be wrong about this, and I'm happy to be like corrected on this, but like from an outsider, it seemed like the thing that they were trying to do in terms of their satire was like, we're going to show you how it really is. Which is to say that like, yeah, all the radio hosts like say, we're going to, like like you were saying, Rob, it is a satire, push it to 11, blah, 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 blah. I think it's less that the world changed uh, and less that America changed such that, it, such, such that it became GTA, but more that like, a particularly like the acceptable discourse in like mainstream media expanded a little bit. But like, I don't think that like, you know, I think that like 
the race, like a racist radio joke on like GTA radio in like 2002 or 2003, right, is trying to be, and it's in the most generous reading, right, is trying to be a parody of like racist or like conservative like talk radio in in like it's dog whistles. It's the quiet part said loud. The difference now is the loud part is just said loud. And so, what are you satirizing? <laughs> right, but also like if the loud the loud part was always be like it, the part was always there. Is I guess the thing that really frustrates me about this and and that like helps recolor a lot of this early shit is that like it's all fun and games for a very specific like the the problem I've had with GTA's writing is that it is very fun specifically for like the parody only works if you believe that like we are in a post-racial America I think is like one of the problems I've always had with GTA's writing is like that is how it is how it has come off to me is that like it's only a fun satire if, if you are one of the people who believes this to be true um and I guess that, like, I don't think that, like, Five was barely skating by in, in, like, public discourse with a lot of the shit that it was trying to pull. And I am curious to see how Six approaches that with a different writing team is, is, is I guess, the thing that I have been trying to articulate. I apologize. No, no, no. I, I, th- I think, no, I, th- I think you're, you're on to something there. I mean, I will say, Rob, I don't know where you ended with Red Dead Redemption to like where where did you where did you fall with that game which is essentially even though the writing team has changed here it's a different setting it's a different yeah. totally different type of game but um i mean that game is way too long that's the um killed it i i actually think there's a really good story in there that is just <laughs> destroyed by its like sheer length um yeah. that it kind of like loses loses the plot at a certain certain but like i Probably I have liked Rockstar's main leads. Like, I know we're talking a lot about the satire, but like mm-hmm. a lot of it ends up orbiting the main story. It, it takes a lot of it's center stage in this like sizzle reel of a trailer. Right. Because um, it's very poppy. Like it's it can go very viral. Like I get why that's what mm-hmm. I'm like when I think about like the leads, like, you know, Nico and, and like I have broadly sort of I've mm-hmm. liked their leads and the stories they try to take them on. And then it often feels like the open worldness of it ends up. uh like clashing against their ability to tell that story in the most concise manner. Um, but I still liked some of the core of Red Dead Redemption 2. And I'm, so it makes me curious where, where they go with this, but I don't know where you ended or did you even finish that game? Oh God, no, I tried, but I tried like, <laughs> yeah. I think two or three times to play it. Like yeah. it would be like, Oh man, I just need to start over again. And like, and I would be like, man, this opening so fucking good. Yeah. And now we start, like we come down out of the hills and start like spinning up the gang again. And then it's like, all right, Arthur, now you need to go ride here and talk to this guy. <laughs> and Oh no, where'd, where'd Cletus go? Follow Cletus's trail into the, and it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, I just can't, I can't with this anymore. Well, I, I will also say that like that is also a, like a structural difference between GTA and Red Dead, though, is that like, from my understanding, again, I have stayed at a distance from these series, but like people interact with GTA, like the, the main story is there and people interact with the main story. But like when you think about like the long tail of GTA five, it's, it's not the main story. Yeah. It's online in the open yeah. world and in online in the open world. The only writing you're coming into contact with is the satire shit. And so, like, I guess that's why part of why it looms so large in my mind is because, like, that is the primary, if that's the primary way your audience is going to be interacting with your game, that to me is the primary perspective that your narrative is taking. 
versus like the actual like if that is what is being prioritized, I it's guess. A, I suspect that audience like tunes that stuff completely out because like there's just like yeah. they're going to just like I'm going to listen to my music playing this i'm just not going to i'm not gonna like bother this is just this. A, it's a sandbox mm-hmm. so, like yeah, it's a set like, of this tools is the biggest game cop it's cops and robbers that mm-hmm. that is that is out there and so i think that yeah. like the, i think this is always going to be the weird distorted reality of discussions about rockstar games that we have here like as critics um the thing that makes these games like enormously popular and you know era defining hits it's something most of us don't engage with that much because yeah. that's not like where our jobs take us. Like there's, there's only a handful of people who are like, I'm going to really cover ongoing the, 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 the GTA or Red Dead online beat for the, for the most part, we cover them. Like here's a new blockbuster film, like the equivalent of like a new James, mm-hmm. like James Cameron movie. And we're like, what do we think of that movie? And we move on. And really, it's immaterial how that movie was because what people are buying and sticking around for is uh, the sandbox. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a live service yeah. game, and it, it, but was never branded as such, right? Like it was, it, it's and in many ways makes GTA Six all the more interesting because it sort of stumbled into becoming a live service game. Um, in in many ways, you know, like it was, GTA Five was originally supposed to have massively expansive single player story authored content. Um, because, well, that's what you do. You release one of these games mm-hmm. and then you put out a big story expansion because that's what people want to do nine months later. And they scrapped all of it um, in favor of heists and online expansions um, and not really knowing what to do with these weird role-playing servers that have like played a huge role <laughs> in continuing GTA to be like very relevant amongst a, a lot of players. Um, we don't know where they're pushing in those directions. And that's stuff we probably won't know till much, much closer to its release because they're probably still working it through. But in many ways, it's the thing I'm most fascinated about, even though it's the thing I will engage with the least and speaks to what you're saying, Rob, of is the thing we'll end up defining what is GTA 6. It's not whether the story, like, the story of like the main characters land at the end. That's that. It's not irrelevant, but it's it's way less relevant than what how GTA five was perceived when it first released. But one weird side effect of the way these games come out is like the big, the bombast and the blockbuster of it all is why they're like, and that's going to be, you know, 60, 70 bucks when that comes out. Well, also that's how it becomes the role play thing, right? Like, like GTA's role play things are so big is because like you're saying, Rob, like it's the big thing. It is, it, it, it hits massively. And so like, uh, part of my curiosity with like GTA is if we're seeing like these role play servers as like a result of like the systems of GTA or simply just like, as you were saying, Rob, just like sheer size of influx of 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 people uh, and combined with the specific structure. Um, well, but what I also think is interesting, though, is like it's a game that has all the, like the live service stuff to an extent. But they are still if I'm like, I'm wrong, but they still basically they make their bank on like single point of sale purchase right like that is that's the bread mm-hmm. and butter is like moving copies of gta from what i heard um what i've heard it's, it's microtransactions yeah I thought. yeah, yeah they make GTA they make online. a sh- yeah they make a shitload of money i mean yeah like it is true i think gta 5 i don't know if it's the best selling game ever made but like it's in the like it's up there yeah. like it it's, it's it's so they are making lots of money on point of sale but they are making like uh what's the thing in fifa yeah uh, ultimate, ultimate team. team they have their own like 
There's ultimate team. Okay. Ultimate team level money that is happening concurrently alongside the point, the point of sale. Yeah. You can buy like credit cards effectively, like of, of, of in-game cash. And also I think like passes that like let you like interact with. So like there is like a huge live service economy going on that yeah. is like underpinning all of this, but also like, I mean, Patrick, what kind of what you're saying to, to return to what you were saying earlier about people like tuning things out, um, uh, you know, the, the the kind of player who turns, who like tunes off the radio and turns it all off. I do think that like, that is an odd design thing. If, if, if we think about GTA five as, as defined by the world and these are piecer and like the long tail of that game by the community interacting, the interaction produced between like the community and the game itself. The thing that fascinates me is that like, if I were that studio, I would want to lean into that personally and like commit to okay well if people are going to be not focusing on the main story let's boot let's like but let's like a like pad or not pad but you know what i mean add on to all of the things around that so it better facilitates the thing that that the game is actually being used for that would be that would be the direction that I would be most interested to see them take but i'm most also most anxious about because of these concerns we've talked about with writing if you want to do the like focus on the story of the world as opposed to the individual characters which would work for like the structure of, of game that they're making, then like I, 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 I'm curious to see how that will interact with, with, with the, with the specific studio. Yeah. I mean, they, like two things. One, they, they did hire um, folks that have run some of the more popular role-playing servers for, for GTA. Oh, really? We don't know um, to, to, they had previously had a hostile relationship with Rockstar. Um, Rockstar often has a hostile relationship with like the modding community. Right. And and folks and like folks in those circles, and ultimately they ended up hiring some people out of that community. We don't know to do what, but it is at least encouraging that in theory they might follow the the path you're talking about. Where mm-hmm. like the reason you build the world, you tell these stories, you do all the authored stuff because it allows you to justify building everything around it, and then you see what the community does with it absent that context. The second thing, Rob, yes, they make so much money off of. The the the, uh, the point is or the ongoing stuff, but the point is stale stuff does matter like that because they're they're only launching this game on PlayStation Five and Xbox. They specifically much to the much to the upset and anxiety of a lot of people did not announce a PC release for this. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend there is a file export PC version. That's not how game development works. But if Rockstar wanted to prioritize a PC version to simultaneously launch with um, the PS5 and Xbox versions of this, they could. My guess is they are going like they have seen with GTA 5. We have seen them be very careful um, and cautious, and it's like we're going to release a PC version later. We're going to re-release next gen two next gen versions. Like they managed to coast to from PS3 to PS4 to PS5. I mean, like it's calculated, and they know that like they can they can double dip on both ends, right? Like Rob, you may not buy in-game currency to get cash for the online stuff but someone like you might buy the ps5 version because they want to play the game right out of the gate and mm-hmm. also they're going to get the pc version 18 months later and they win either way or they're going to get the ps5 version and then the ps6 version and the ps7 version like, like, <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah 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 eventually yeah. eventually point of sale becomes micro like if we if we on a long enough tail with rockstar's business model the two eventually begin to resemble each other especially if you think about like how fucking frequently you see gta 5 go on sale on like steam and the epic games store like it's 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 clearly being treated in Honestly, in, in like a different way than like we think about a lot of like long like blockbuster prestige games is that like 
you are right, Rob. They hit and then they go. Uh, and then the interesting thing about GTA Five and and potentially Six is 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 the long tail and the economic long tail. I think is like really interesting to to look at and like kind of unique. What I just find so interesting about it though is like mm-hmm. it is a game that's had this incredibly long ter- long tail and like community six round plays forever. As far as I can tell, they're not sweating. Like I don't read a lot of stories about like. The community is cr- like the destiny equivalent of like the community is clamoring for when is Rockstar uh, going to release the hookers and blow expansion that's been <laughs> that's been promised for promised for months. Oh uh, you don't you don't see that like the culmination of all the storytelling in GTA five, much like the final shape is coming in the hookers yeah, and blow the, expansion. And then it comes out and it's like it only has blow. It's only got blow. What, <laughs> what, what the fuck happened to the hookers? Lazy devs. I cannot believe oh that, <laughs> that that expansion Jesus. now is Q4 2027. This sucks. <laughs> like, but you don't like you don't see them sweating that. It's like, here's a big ass game. It has an online component. And that seems to be like it just mints money. They've been doing expansions, but they haven't been paid. Like they've been doing like consistent updates and stuff. And like, I, I think that like one of the reasons that we just don't see this is, is the long, t- the tail is so long that we can no longer see the body it is kind of the issue. Yeah. Is that like the player base has, has been doing this for so long that like they do get mad about all this shit. We just don't see it because like they're so uh, tails so long, body so far. That's none of our business. <laughs> body so far. <laughs> Cause I think it, it's like, it's like, it's something like, you know, one of the last like 10 years of like games writing has been like, Oh, right. We should write about games after they're out. Right. Um, and then GTA has just been out so long. That's like, bro, we can't do this. Like, <laughs> like, I'm it, fucking yeah. bored. Like let the community do its There's own, also- you know, well, also, like also uh, the, the, the thing is that the community has been around so long and the developers have like, it's like a cat whose owners kind of fucking hate them. But, like, they're kind of cool with each other. And, like, you see someone, like, go to pet the cat and the cat gets really mad at them. But, like, they still feed the cat, technically. That kind of feels like the rock star community relationship where they both treat each other terribly. And it has become so standard practice that it is no longer remarked upon publicly. There's also something to be said about, like, the the, the thing that we, like, remember the most or, like like we associate the most with the online is some of these RP servers because basically all they needed was the sandbox that worked for what they wanted to RP, right? Uh then they they could care probably they could probably care less about what if there's any other story content ever coming to that game as long as the servers can can keep running. Um because then it's like so like that's probably part of why we don't like hear a lot about it. It's just like the people who who have stuck around forever are just we're happy. We're like this sandbox is fun to play in, and I'm gonna play in as long as I can. Also, even the non RP folks like enjoy the heists, right. from what I understand. Like 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 we see that like you know yeah, people don't like talk cool. about the hookers and blow expansion, but they do talk about the bank heist or the casino heist. And in addition yeah. to the casino heist, like. You know, there was something for the RPers there, too, because it was like the heist and also this new like casino like location Location. and system that you can interact with. Like houses, for example, have been like a big mark. If I remember correctly, like all of the expansions like also get marketed with like the new housing that that players will have access to uh, for, for their characters. And so like 
I, I, there has been an integration of this into the actual like release structure and business model. I just don't think we talk about it because like, you know, I didn't finish GTA five. I'm also not going to then read a news story about the new heist that came out. Yeah, But we do in come, GTA but every 5. other game that has like the, that has significant live service activity. We do cover like the state of those communities and like what the vibe is in part because those games, we know their future is like they stake mm, the future. I was going to say on yeah. the live service thing. Yeah. Uh, that like we, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, excitement and interest about like, Oh, destiny fans are mad at Bungie. <laughs> what does that mean for destiny? There's no ramifications if there's people who are mad no. at like Rockstar over GTA Especially online. If they keep buying more money, right? If they keep buying right. the like in-game currency. Hey, I, I didn't. They, they had a, there was an open wheel racing expansion in 2020 for GTA Five. Oh my god! Look like some oh. indie cars. <laughs> so, okay. Oh. I, I guess, but one of the differences between the other live service games and this though is that like, Cato. Mm-hmm. If I go to Kato and I say, Kato, can you explain to me what the Destiny community is mad about right now? I mean, there's uh, if we set things. aside the content <laughs> release, if we set aside the layoffs, like set aside b- the starter pack, Kato could get into detail about like mechanical minutia sure. and be like, well, the community is like a large portion of the community is pissed because there's this one exotic that no one can fucking get right now. Or alternatively, there's this one exotic that everyone has right now and everyone's pissed off about it. And like, there are things you can point to in terms of like, the live service systems that people are touching that are like pissing them off because like the game is built around the friction between the player and the live service system versus something like GTA where it's like GTA players are not doing raids to get good gear from my understanding. And so like we can talk, we can have different kinds of conversation about something like Destiny as a live service game than we can about something like GTA as a live service game. Because, like, if we talked about GTA as a live service game, if, if for example, someone like Kato was really interested, or, like, if I was our GTA person, then, like, I would just be coming with new, fun GTA stories and RP shit every week, as opposed to being able to, like, talk about the function of the game's interaction with like the community writ large, which I'm sure still happens, but like we just think about it differently. And 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 you're right, we do talk about it less because we are we are taught to talk about games less this way as critics. Also, because it's really fucking hard. Community reporting is so hard. Community reporting is so hard and annoying and it takes so long. I'm just saying. My GTA character could do heist by day. Well, actually, heist by night. And then run an F1 team by day. Yeah. Mo- you can do that now. Motorsport <laughs> manager. Kato, you and I could be oh in GTA God. online. Oberhoff needs money. Oberhoff needs and the money. best Wait, way to rob. get that money is to fucking <laughs> rob a bank. Yep. <laughs> rob, you were right the first time, though. You should do heist during the day. And then run the world's only nighttime only F1 circuit. <laughs> Believe me, that is the direction F1 is heading. They, they fucking love the night races uh, in, in this in this era. Uh, last thing, um, you know, there was the Day of the Devs stream the other day and uh, the 
the was the the wholesome snack. Is that what? yeah. Uh, the, the the wholesome snack. Um, don't want to get too far into it. Uh, we we streamed it uh, on our Twitch channel and and did a talk over. Uh, if you want to just check out general reactions to what was announced, what was revealed there, uh, you know, go and go and check that out. Uh, before we take a quick break here, any standouts here for y'all in terms of what we saw the other day? I need I need to watch Rob play the cop game, like the big the big cop four. man. Yeah, the mm. big cop man game. Big um, cop man game. Uh, it's yeah, it's a. Uh, let's see. It, What's the name? Militioner? Yeah, Milios. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, it's from the game studio Tall Boys. That's what's important. Yeah. There's a big cop in it. Uh, it looks uh, wild. Uh, I I don't. I still don't really know what that game is. Um, but it, it, there's a. I mean, there's a giant uh, Attack on Titan kaiju style, like kind of British looking cop that is at the center, <laughs> and. They'll they watch you and you're trying to escape, trying to get on a train. And I think it was described as sort of like a roguelike, but it's also got t- t- Tamagotchi elements for like lack of a better way of phrasing it, which is like there was a, a moment in the trailer where uh, like the, the, you can get a sense of the mood of the cop. And it's like the cop's OK with you stealing when it's happy. Um, and so you have this <laughs> relationship with the officer and they're always I, I don't know it's just it's such a high bizarre high concept that I almost don't even care if, I mean it's better if it's good but like the concept is just so utterly out there that I'm glad it exists and someone's sitting there going because it would have been so much easier just for this to be like a game jam it's like oh, whatever I'm not going to think through the hard problems on like how does this all actually work as a game that people might play for dozens of hours what if it's just big cop man and you have to escape. Okay, like that's funny. That's a good stream. Um, but this is like, no, we're gonna try and solve those hard problems. I'm like, great. Like, yeah. Good luck. Now I am seeing Patrick within 30 seconds of the, uh, I believe, the Steam trailer that Cotto posted. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. At one point, uh, they go. Uh, the cop looks at the player uh, and says, and I quote, "Let me pull this up here. Um, ease the." T- Ease the ten, ease the tension between us. The cop says to you, "Please, <laughs> please ease the tension between us." Uh, what a fucking unique. That's you can call the, the cops. lives of others. <laughs> <laughs> you have like di- you have like dialogue oh, options with the cop. One of which they don't pick it in the trailer, but is there. You can just call him a bitch. Uh, <laughs> that's just right there on the table. Just I don't I don't think it ends well for you. Probably if you if you call the. The attack on Titan uh, police officer, a bitch, but hey, you know, sometimes you got to keep it real and, you do. and maybe, res- maybe he'd respect you for, it. Uh, you know what? Yeah, people, I don't know. Cops love it when people are honest with them. Uh, so that's why you should always talk to cops <laughs> and uh, you should tell them what you think of the job they're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, speak the fuck up Friday, folks. Uh, welcome. All right. And on that note, we will take a quick break and we'll be back with some games. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up 
the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs, only 140 calories a serving. It's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's, right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And we're back. Uh, here, here to talk about the games we've been playing. Uh, Patrick, you've been playing a bunch, so let's let's start with you. Pick pick one of the of the many games you've perused of late. Uh, All right, have... well, they're that good, huh? <laughs> well, gaming, it's never been up, better. I was trying to pull up this uh, this tweet that expressed exactly how I felt about Avatar: Frontiers of Tomorrow. Um, Sorry, it's called like, what? Frontiers of Pandora. Fr- no. Frontiers of Pandora. I was going to say, that I thought Pandora was in the title, but I thought it was really funny if I somehow had accidentally just shoved the name of the planet into the title. <laughs> oh, no, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. I found it. Um, uh, this is from Giovanni Colantonio, uh, who is a, a writer over at uh, Digital Trends. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora includes a side quest where you're asked to say a few words of remembrance for the dead in front of a memorial. When it ends, you are rewarded with a legendary assault rifle muzzle. Fuck That's yeah. basically my review. 
fuck yeah, dude. That rules. So, wow. And I yeah, I play, I don't know. I played, you know, about f- 5 hours of what is Ubisoft's new open world game. Ubisoft who continues to have a fascination with James Cameron and Pandora and the Avatar franchise. They produced a <laughs> like Avatar we all game. Do. Yeah. Uh, look, I look, I think the high frame rate stuff was bullshit, but I thought it looked fucking sick in the, in the new avatar film i was sold on it in that one oh specific instance um but they made it they made ubisoft made an avatar game back then that was not very good it was like your pretty standard third person action like it was just the kinds of things you'd expect from a, a licensed title and, and ubisoft just trying to kind of ride uh james cameron's coattails which to be fair are probably like there are worse coattails to try and <laughs> ride behind or james cameron he, his bets tend to tend to pan out um with this one, um, it there are some really interesting ideas in this game that feel wildly sanded down by having to make a game at the scale that a AAA game has to be made, combined with the fact that it is still within sort of the Ubisoft, like, find a tower, like, like claim that tower, unlock new part of the map formula that we have seen since... Uh, Ubisoft like took over the Far Cry uh, Far Cry franchise and 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 uh, applied a lot of that to Assassin's Creed. Like for example, um, when you start this game, it gives you the uh, one. It's first person, which is is neat because um, at least it's like a little bit a little bit different than what you'd expect from something like this. Whether it takes full advantage of the first person perspective, I uh, I don't know if that's actually true, but at least it feels a little bit different than what you'd expect from something like this. But you have like you have an op- you have an opportunity to choose how much UI is in the game, um, and the reason it presents you with that is because like you'll complete an objective, and the way the game describes to you what to do next will be like, hey, this new objective is northwest of like this like uh, let's like the the high region like right? like just to pull something out of my ass, and so you can as the player then just use a compass or your sense of geography to try and find yourself to that place. And it's very easy for me to imagine the original pitch of Frontiers of Pandora was, what if we took this like gorgeous, big, could be anything world and like kind of made a survival game out of it. Uh, But ultimately what they had to ship was a survival game that like had to survive going through countless play tests and like, the rigors of being sort of like a triple a fit into this box Ubisoft experience because in the UI, it tells me like, Hey, go Northwest of this tree. And like vaguely in that area, like, can you figure out based on this like vague text where you're supposed to go? It's like, well, I guess I could do that. Or I could use my Navi sense by holding right button and just a big old blue like icon appears and I can just make my way there. And so to feel like it's Be a game that's like the Navi. Yeah. <laughs> well, they so this game also wants to do that. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the Avatar franchise, like I mean, James Cameron in the last like 20 years, like big, like, you know, kind of save the earth sort of person, like talking a lot about like eco-friendly things um and that's present in the world uh, trade uh (laughs) present in the avatar series to 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 a meaningful extent you know like the the navi are like you know one with the planet respectful of things around it and so that is they've tried to mechanically get that into this game in a number of ways one 
there's just so much resource collecting, game about resource collecting. But how do you do a game about resource collecting when one of the principal themes of mm-hmm. the universe that you're in don't is resources. sort of respecting the resources around you? But God damn it, we really want players <laughs> to collect resources. And so one of those is when you are like, uh, the different resources in the world, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of... S- identify them visually like, Oh, this looks like a plant that has like a nut attached to it. Like I bet I can collect that. Or you can use your Navi sense and like, just tell you like, yo, like that, that, that fern you're looking for is over there. Totally got a nut, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I know you can't, I know you can't see it, but that plant's definitely got a nut. I promise you. (laughs) And you go, you go up to it and it switches to this like, close-up perspective on whatever you're trying to take off of the object. It could be a nut. Uh, it could be a nut. Uh, it could be a stick. Um, and, oh boy. All right, especially given the way we've described this, this only gets a little more uncomfortable. No, lean in. Uh, well, you do. You do lean in. Um, and you're using the, an- you're going to slowly move that analog stick, Ren, and it's going to vibrate in different directions. Okay. And, when the vibrations get more intense, yes. it means that you want to then pull back on the other analog stick. Make eye contact with at, the tree. <laughs> at the right spot. Tree man, and then acquire you can, your nut. And then the you top. can acquire a pristine nut. Tree, tree, I'd like to, tree, I would like to ease the tension between us. Can, can I have your pristine nut, tree? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Patrick? Uh-huh. Yeah. That is at least different than you just walk up to a thing in Far Cry and like, <laughs> just like it is. hit the button and just like slurp. All right, that animal we killed just got skinned. Uh, well, yeah. Is there an optional now, skip yes. button? Uh, there are, Ubisoft games have a lot of accessibility options. Mm. I my guess is there is one that just just lets you slurp, <laughs> slurp the nut, uh, so to speak. Um, uh, but um, <laughs> but the problem, Rob, is it's a it's it's a novel idea that then the game goes. Ha! You want to do that ten thousand times? It's like no, like I don't like. I like the idea much. Like I enj- I I like in theory. Go northwest. Try to intuit, like, from the world around you what, how to get there. I like the idea that, hey, the resource extraction I'm doing has a mechanic that is supposed to be expressing, like, being respectful. It's not mm-hmm. just, you're just, you're, like, tearing this piece off of this tree. So I'm just like, I need a stick. I need a stick because I need to, like, make some arrows. It's like, well, okay, well, you can get this, you can, like, you can grab the stick, but, like, be respectful of your, st- like, I, it's all sort of goofy, but also, uh, Avatar as a franchise is like goofy and like overly endearing in its thematic. Like it makes like it falls in line with Avatar and its universe. However, you end up feeling about it, and it extends that to to some profoundly kind of goofy degrees. Um, so there are, you know, uh, there's a, a, a cooking uh, extension like where you like hey, hey like you can buff parts of your character. Um, by like cooking things, um, you know, kind of borrowing from survival games, popularized, you know, in a lot of mainstream games or uh, kind of single player games by Breath of the Wild. Um, so the, you'll see like a, a creature 
Um, I cannot name any of these creatures. None of them st- stuck in my in my brain, but they're out there, and they're you know you got your buffalo analogs, kind of wolf analogs, uh, yes. And so, in the world of Avatar, right, you have the Sky People, the humans who have like abandoned Earth because they've ruined it. They find this moon, Pandora, that is very Earth-like, and they want to resource extract from it. And the Navi, uh, like, you know, are, you know, are, are sort of like native analogs. And, like, they, you know, they carry sticks. And it comes with all the problems that if you watch the Avatar, like, wow, like, is that what they were doing? Yeah, yeah, that's what they were doing. But they also, like, we're going to use the Sky People's tools against them. And so this is a game where, like, I am respectful of the plants around me. I am respectful of what I am taking, what I am giving, and my relationship with it. And I will also pick up an assault rifle, and I will just litter the earth with bullets. And so (laughs) there are these wild moments where you will come across an animal. It's like, oh, I could probably, you know, respectfully, I would like to extract your meat so I can cook it and get a 10-minute healing buff. Thank you. Thank you, world. Yeah, that's Um, living in balance. Yes, but if you use your uh, if you use your assault rifle, it ruins it ruins the meat. You can't use it. You might have saved yourself because maybe you got into hostile ter- territory and you upset that that creature. But if you shot it with a gun, you may what? not take its meat. You may not take its resources. Uh, it's just well, like, is, okay. I mean, that, all right. That I actually yes. do like that. That's fun because, like, yes, that's also like true, like of the world. Like that's why that's why mm-hmm. you don't want to like. It's one of the reasons that like hunting is hard. And like the long term to be good at hunting is because you know how hard it is to get bullet fragments out of something. It's really hard. They, they killed like six presidents trying to just get bullet fragments out. Like it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's really hard. And and listen, I it's, kind of like the you, you can't take a nut out of a tree if you put the bullet in first. You know, and like mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm, how you that's mm-hmm. how you that's how you're respectful, Patrick. Is you is you reach in, take nut out, put bullet in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give and one, take one, give one. It's a circle of life, it's, baby. <laughs> it's full of, in theory, interesting ideas like this, and I think they are crushed by the structure. They are crushed by the repetition. They are crushed by the mission design, um, and I think ultimately crushed by a game that is not brave enough to embrace these ideas fully and make a game that would be a natural extension of these ideas. And instead, sur- like it is then just put into a fairly rote. Ubisoft template that hinges upon how much you just want to be in this universe because it's not as though if you find nothing compelling about being in Pandora because you thought that world was interesting from from the films um th- these sort of ideas that were were like we're remarking as being kind of interesting especially relative to what we expect from games of this scale uh and production they just don't go far enough like it just does like there's no reason for me to try and find like go northwest from the tree when i can just hit right like you know what i mean like embrace it like make the game that actually forces me and it's sure they make it optional like you can do kind of like who's uh kirk hamilton was the person at kataka would always write the like man stop being a pussy turn off that ui like and ever like he, he wrote a version of that post multiple times for lots of games and i always found it very compelling and i'd never do it Unless the game forced me to do it. Like, you're going to put the big arrow in front of me. I'm going to follow the arrow. If you take the arrow away, then, f- like, force me to engage fully with what you're offering me. And this is a game that is, does, I, I don't really necessarily blame it on the developers. I think it is more of, like, the Ubisoftification of what it does when Ubisoft decides to make 
and engage with a property. Um, I think they like that is just too much to bear. And the interesting stuff ends up being just like buried underneath and not allowed to flourish in the, in the way that uh, I think it could have made a more compelling and interesting game. Um, Cause part of what's like wild is like, this is one of the most beautiful games I have ever played. Like it, the visual, like the, the world they have constructed here, there are moments when you come across like the colorful jungle that like defines Pandora. It is fucking strike. Like it is sit back from my computer and just like, look around for several minutes at a time it is it is that like kind of awe-inspiring like it's it's difficult for me to be taken aback by like a jungle structure in a video i've seen these before there's a colorfulness to pandora that is that is unique to how normally you would see this kind of world depicted in a game but it is it is utterly gorgeous like even though it is trying to do in real time what something like avatar is able to do with like all of the, the benefits of like being completely constructed out of um, like cutscenes essentially to be, to be re- like uh, uh, sort of redundant uh, or uh, uh, to oversimplify it in terms of gaming terms, but uh, it looks amazing and it has these interesting ideas and then it's stuck in a Ubisoft game. Um, and I don't think the characters, the story like do itself any favors, that stuff. Um, there's just nothing to hook yourself onto. And what I found myself was desperate. I was like, this is interesting. Maybe there's a reason for me to keep playing this. And then I made it to this, like, there's a moment early on. I forget what the flying creatures are called in Avatar, but like they have a very symbiotic relationship with the Navi where like they actually like physically connect to one another and like bond on a kind of like primordial level. Like it's a, that relationship is very intensely conveyed in the, in the Avatar universe. And there's a there's a, a a Navi, a character you end up going on a mission with, and and that that creature dies, and it is presented as like absolutely soul crushing, and like you need to be there for them, like while they do whatever ceremony is going to allow them to escape their grief, and to do that, could you go out into the forest and collect like six beads so that like we could figure out how to do this ceremony? And I turned the game off, and I was like, fuck, like no like this isn't what i want to do and it's a game that just crumbles under the structure and it's and it's too bad because i i agree with you man like it is as like earnestly like goofy as some of this stuff is like i don't know that was kind of meaningful that they were trying to like find ways to mechanically display like showing some version of of respect for the world around it um but i don't think this game achieves that and it doesn't help that sometimes when you um kill an animal and then are taking its 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 resources uh there's a line of dialogue like you'll sit down and like speak a line which on its face is cool but then i heard it 12 times over the span of four hours and it lost like any power that that line has and i I, the tension for the game is well yeah but you need to collect that 12 times and we don't have the space and resources to produce unique dialogue for all those times but if we took away the line well, then why did we introduce the line in the first place? Because now you're just doing what you do in a Far Cry game, which is to kill things to get 10x of this so that you can craft the bit. It's just a game at odds with itself, and it's it's unfortunate. They've, they've accidentally created a really compelling commentary about the ways in which if you try to apply colonial logics to mm-hmm. to, 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 to non-colonial systems, what ends up happening is they lose their core and end up you know becoming a worse version of themselves. They, thank you, Ubisoft, for speaking to us <laughs> like that. I mean, in many ways, it's it's like if you have a Ubisoft, I think, what is it, Ubisoft Plus? I forget what their sub is called. 
this game is fascinating. Like if if you just like like it's not a game I'm like particularly endorsing playing, but if it was on Game Pass or you like had Ubisoft subscription service and you could just install it, it's interesting. And then like just play it as long as that like level of interestingness allows and then release yourself from it. Um cuz it is it's it's its failures are interesting. I just don't think the failures are interesting enough that I'd recommend mm-hmm anybody run out and really really spend your time with it unless it was kind of just in front of you so in that world where you got some time some stuff's in front of you this or immortals of am patrick it is which I do which want to play one that. i do want to play that yeah oh this or oh oh immortals yes. <laughs> i think, yeah, I think immortals like, is fundamentally yeah. a good that's, that's, I think it's fundamentally modern, a good game which way modern man <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I, 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 that is, I've, I've put that aside, Rob. That is one of my holiday oh, yeah. games. Like, like that is going to be, I, kids are asleep. Wife's got to work the next day. I'm gonna the only real, one with a day off. Sicko. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to play six hours of Immortals of the Vam and I'm going to like every minute of it. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that's the path I would choose if I had to, if I had to pick one. Ren, what have you been playing and have you enjoyed every minute of it? Oh uh, Yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been enjoying what I've been playing for the most part. Uh, I've been, I've been putting time into a couple of things. I would say most notably, uh, just to, to just to give you a quick, a quick palette. Uh, it's been a lot of Alan Wake two, uh, a lot of Caves of Could. Uh, honestly, a truly astounding amount of Caves of Could. I've been very sad recently, <laughs> and 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 those beautiful deserts distract me from my sorrows. Uh, and then finally, uh, I started putting some time into Shadow, the most recent Shadow Tactics game, uh, last night. Ah. Um, and have been enjoying my time with that so far. Uh, I did not play the previous ones. Uh, and, uh, I have, I have, I, I really like what it seems like they're doing. I'm just very anxious about it being able to sustain itself over the length of a full video game. This is the me, 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, RIP to that studio. They're very good. Me, 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 me games. Uh, yeah, three, three me, me's. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they've kind of cornered the market on this game and then on this genre and uh you know earlier this year sort of said that's not really working out and that this was gonna be the last one of these i think this released a an expansion but yeah Mm rent like this tends to be like their commandos likes i guess is the first game that really popularized this stuff Uh um and i have played part of many of their previous games and i was like man this is a blast and then, like, they're, they're kind of like puzzle stealth tactics games, right? With like right, a, a little action element. They're they're puzzle stealth tactics games, but the problem, or not the problem, but Rob, tell me if this is the, is this is the problem that you encountered personally. Very quickly, I found myself realizing that like I could probably do this with one character in enough time. And the minute you realize, like, about the stealth tactics game, I could do this with one character in enough time. I think it kind of just turns back into a stealth game a little bit uh, in a way that like is I, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to work around. You know what I mean? Um, because like it is in a so, so, so to pitch the game, right? It is a top down or isometric stealth game um, in which you play as like a crew of pirates, uh, each with their own unique abilities that you can kind of swap between uh, at will over the course of, of like going through an island and trying to kind of solve an objective. That is like the goal of, 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 of uh, these shadow tactics games, or at least the, the most recent one. Um, 
And I think that like the abilities are really cool. So like, for example, the protagonist of this game has a blink ability, uh, just your standard like dishonored style blink, uh, or you can blink and kill someone instantly. Uh, and then you have a uh, uh, the ability to like freeze time uh, and like plan out your actions. Those are those are your the the basic pitches in your character. And then I just revived a character who is like a medic and can like throw bushes to create cover mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, and then also send enemies, basically like force them to walk in the opposite direction of wherever they're wherever you are facing. Uh, and so it causes them to like walk away. And so by combining those powers, you can kind of like get your way through the island is, 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 is the pitch. The problem is that like each, any one of these characters, cause it is a, is a, it is a stealth game, uh, is kind of effective enough at taking out guards where like I could completely ignore my like captain who has the blink power and only use the doctor with the bush and like turnaround ability to get through like a lot of like the early sections of the game. And at that point it's just turning back into like something like metal gear, like the, like the first like metal gear solid uh, or uh, MGS two in terms of like, okay, I just have to think about like vision cones and, and the tactics part of it kind of disappears if you are good enough at thinking about stealth situations and it's my hope that, like, the later part of the game is able to, like, push me enough to stop doing this. Or or it should, at the, at the very least, not be so easy to see how I can solve every situation with just one person. Uh, and I think that's kind of the anxiety that I have in terms of, like, going further with it. Yeah, I think... <clears throat> so, I think especially in the early stages, it, it, like... Things are set up. It's forgiving enough that it it can feel like you you have the character who's like set of abilities. You feel like you can get really far with, uh, and then they're hoping you're gonna combine these characters and operate a little more in tandem, uh, right. you know, along the way. Eventually, they start mandating that a bit more, but that begins to feel like a difficulty spike, uh, really suddenly, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh wow, like I really can't get like now. I need, these things need to be sort of striking a chord together now pretty carefully. Um, and I guess the other part is I think like, especially because I think the Mimi Me games are, they're all really pretty and stylistically distinct uh, from one another shadow. What is it? Shadow Gambit. Uh, the cursed yeah. crew, the cursed crew. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like they shifted art styles the most for this one. Like this looks, um, I don't have to put my finger on it. Like cartoony is the way I would put it, but it's just like it. It looks it looks whimsical to me. It looks like uh, Monkey Island esque in mm-hmm. in some ways. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I would say so. I'm trying to. I'm I'm pulling up the. Uh, I'm just pulling up a screenshot so I can look at like the. Uh, yeah, I. I'm trying to think of how to describe this art style. It is like a. Almost. Do you know what kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of like the kind of art that you would see in like a TTRPG mm. uh, source book, like a source book yeah. or like a yeah. or like a or like a module in terms of like the the specific like style of like line work. Like I'll, I'm just gonna send this to the group chat. Kato, tell me this guy isn't just a class in 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 a TTRPG. Tell me this is not just the that's example path, image that, of like that's a Pathfinder the, exa- man. That's a hundred percent. That's a Pathfinder man. A pathfinder this is man. just a Pathfinder <laughs> man. Uh, which is to say that like it has this like 
a kind of flat, not flat, but like flatter than like really deep, like involved lighting, uh, looks hand drawn in, in a lot of ways. There's like visible line work uh, on these characters, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I honestly like the visual style a lot. Um, I, I, I think it, I think it comes together in a way that, that is like yeah. pretty and charming Honestly, it, it, it kind of feels like a more cohesive version, at least while, while you're on like the ships, because there's a lot of there's a lot of ship doing. Uh, it is a pirate game. Uh, it reminds me a bit of Pillars of Eternity to, to Deadfire mm. uh, in terms of like its version of pirate aesthetics. Um, love to be on a pirate ship, honestly. Love to be on a pirate ship. But but yeah, I think like it's something that I think it exists a little bit in tension with stuff like. Stealth is fun until it's not. People like feeling stealthy and sneaky, but they don't feeling like they can't stay in stealth and they suck at it and they keep breaking cover and getting getting rocked. Uh, and I think like part of the tension with these games is like, especially early on, you're kind of bopping along and it's like, man, I'm a stealth genius, like just shredding these levels. And eventually the game is going to stop playing around with you like that and it's going to get much much harder like the commandos games were you know the the, the a lot of the the games that sort of lay the foundations of the genre tend to be really hard uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, in, in how they played. And uh, I, I do think like in a, in a weird way, like in some ways these are like super accessible. Like, Oh, I can super get into the setting and the story. Uh, but then there's going to be like pacing issues as you go along uh, because it's going to, it's going to slow things down more and more to be like, well, how are you going to get past this set piece encounter? Rob, I have a clarifying question. Yeah. Uh, did you, um, did previous games have, um, fuck, there's a name for a mechanic and it's just like completely, oh, uh, there we go. Uh, variable difficulty. So like this game has a ton of difficulty. Uh, it has four main difficulty levels and then also has, uh, like custom difficult. So you can make your own personal. It's been a like, minute. Difficulty. I feel like, I feel like. The last, like, I feel like Desperados might have, but I couldn't, I couldn't swear to it. I can't remember too well uh, how how tunable the difficulty was. Yeah, because this has like actually like pretty tunable difficulty. I've been, I've been. That's pretty smart. Yeah, because like yeah. I mean, it also makes sense because if you think about like you know uh, a stealth tactics game like this, like if just like in this screenshot alone, which I'm, I'm sending everyone, it has uh, a char- it has three characters, a vision cone. Uh, and some like time options in terms of like forwarding and and uh, uh, pausing or advancing in time quickly. The thing that is like f- fun to me about this screenshot is that like there's like four axes upon which you can modulate difficulty, and like this one screenshot alone, from like cooldown times to also like how long it takes an enemy to see you in which specific vision cone. Um, shit like that. So yeah. like I think that like these are actually really smart games to do modular difficulty with. Uh, because like it's so easy to see the points at which they are clicky, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, it's it's so much easier to do this in like, for example, this than like if you tell me the vision cone of enemy in the shadow vision cone of an enemy, it's going to take you X amount of time to be detected, and I can see the vision cones laid out on the ground. That's way more effective difficulty yeah. signaling than something, for example, like um, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, a game that like I played a bunch of and. 
played in stealth a ton and like first person and 3d stealth like that is a lot harder to to keep kind of track of where you are uh, yeah. and an enemy position relative to you and so i appreciate that they are, that they take the opportunity to push the player but also to recognize that like modular difficulty can allow the player to determine what pushing them actually looks like real um, quick in the screenshot is this a character with a cannon on his back i was gonna say did that does that cannon have arms and legs but no i I think you're right it's strapped to someone's back you just can't see their body really (laughs) yeah there's a man i believe crouching down with a cannon on the back still ridiculous but in a different way than i first saw (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's beautiful um i am curious i'm still playing through alan wake i I didn't end up spending as much time with it when it came out as i as i wanted to uh patrick i think i saw you playing some last night um i'm back in i'm i'm I'm, i i'm gonna try and i i started playing last night i think i'm gonna stream it friday afternoon i'm gonna try and stream it as much as i can on monday (laughs) i'm I'm, I'm gonna attempt to mainline like see if i can finish it before we 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 do our end of the year stuff is my is my plan. I think which is at odds with wanting to luxuriate in the game. So I I I'm I'm trying to walk between those two worlds, which is like I want to go look around that corner, but like that's an extra ten minutes. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. I will say in my experience of Alan Wake too. The parts of it that like drag the most, or not quote unquote drag, but like the parts of it that are going to slow you down the most, are sections where like it's kind of impossible not to look around a little bit. So like they yeah. they they know what they're doing in terms of like kind of forcing you to slow down at certain points. Uh, it's one of the things I actually like about the game a ton is 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 its pacing in that way. Yeah, like I made it to the first you know uh, play as Alan Wake section and it's like oh well I guess I I sort of know where I'm supposed to go. I see that little light. But like there's like so much stuff around here. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna walk around for the next twenty minutes and so uh, have the you whole, gotten- oh go ahead. I was just wondering, have you gotten to the central mechanic of Alan Wake stuff? Like his version yeah. of the like, detective board? Uh, I haven't gotten the, the, the detective board startup hasn't happened, but like what he does with his... Is he just holding the Game Award statue? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm pretty sure he is. It's not... Pretty sure he is. It's, it's similar to similar. Legally Distinct yeah. From. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay, I don't know if this is a... Okay, so but like he's not like doing things where like I rewrite the story and it changes the level. Wait, are you, are you asking me or yeah. have you gotten to this part? That was, yeah, that is me. I was trying to ask you yeah. that Patrick oh. is I was trying to ask you if you had gotten to, yeah, I know what the mechanic does. Yes. Right. Yes, okay, great. Cool. I've just been thinking a lot about it because I remember someone made this fucking, a claim was made at the beginning of this console generation. Um, where someone was talking, it might have actually been you, Patch, was talking about like Ratchet and Clank. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the Ratchet and Clank game that came out at the beginning of the PS5 generation. And I think it was you who pointed out that like, this is an example of a next, uh, quote unquote, at the time, next gen game doing something that would have been functionally technically impossible before. Yeah. Uh, the 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 world transition stuff functionally, and then I never saw anyone do anything thematically particularly interesting with that shit. Until Alan Wake 2, which is just like if someone described that mechanic to a group of writers and then they just spent like two years thinking about all of the fun shit you could theoretically do with the ability to just completely change out set dressing on the fly. And like, should, this is what we should explain exactly. Like, so, so you get it. You And when you play in the Alan Wake sections of the game, you get access to. Uh, essentially a magic wand. The it's like a, room. Um, uh, no, it's kind of like a, the, the, lion, the lamp. 
the oh, unseen lamp. lamp. It is called yeah. the lamp. Yes. Um, and uh, there are certain lights in the world uh, that you can essentially capture the essence of. And it's, it's like fl- uh, think of flipping a light switch. Like it's it's like if you flip a yeah. light switch on, flip a light switch off, it dynamically immediately. We're talking about different things. Yes. So you but go, finish your explanation. Yeah, please, okay. Please so, so maybe I haven't gotten to this part of, of the game. I, 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 anyway, like you know, you can look in front of you and like, if there's a light above you, you can capture that light and then you can, you, you can, you can use it to change the, the geometry in front of you uh, in real time. Like it is, it is literally like flipping a light switch and like a door that was in front of you is no longer there. And it does some really wild things with the, how you think of the space around you. Actually, Rob, maybe we should shut the fuck up and let Patrick see this on stream tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we should shut the fuck Patrick, up and you let gotta get, You gotta get into Caldera Street Station. You yeah, gotta, yeah, yeah. You just gotta started. get I in sh- that. You gotta get in the summer. So that's where I ended. Out there. Okay, that's where I ended last night was nice. I made my way up the stairways to, to begin that hole. So that I finally sequels. started making some real progress. Um, nice. It's a little, it's slowed down a little bit uh, because... MK likes to watch me play these games in particular. She loved Control. She digs Alan Wake. But the problem is this one, unlike Control, because of a shift in perspective, shift in perspective, does make her like more motion sick watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like you know, she te- we tend to hit point where she's like, "Can we take a break? Can we you know put?" <laughs> Rob's not ready to take a, a break. <laughs> uh, well, in a weird way, though, I probably do like. I'm I'm working through, like there's there's times I feel like this game has really uneven pacing uh, and like there's times I'm like all in on it and then there's times I'm like I feel like I'm spinning my wheels a little bit uh, and I want but it's it, but it improves like, I think it has a, a bit of a long runway and then once mm-hmm. it starts cooking it really starts cooking um, also I did completely sabotage it a bit myself there's a point where like you do some important stuff with Saga and mm-hmm. you get a uh, you get like a mission update that's like you can go back to Bright Falls to start the next chapter of the story. Or do you want to explore the newly exposed portions of the map here? And I'm like, wow. you bet your ass I'm going to explore the newly. And that yeah. turned into a complete like. What's going to take to check this box? I've been over every inch of this map. Like, what well, like. <sighs> When am I going to complete oh. all the Oh, is this when the secrets? water recedes? Yeah. Yes. Rob, I had the exact yeah. same yeah. moment last <laughs> night. I ended up looking up a walkthrough to be like, am I missing the pathing? Like, is there a section around some of these uh, logs that it's going to checkbox me? And there's no checkbox to be had. You're just, you can look around if you'd yeah. like to. But I was waiting for the check to tell me I Give did me the, the good check. thing. <laughs> when do I know what I'm satisfied? <laughs> Where, yeah. are these, I, where are these bolt cutters? Holding oh my a gun. Like oh my <laughs> holding my a God. gun on a wolf. Oh. Tell me where the bolt cutters are. <laughs> Fuck. Um, yeah, that section that section's a little bit frustrating. But also, like, how have you been? I, I will be. I am curious. How have y'all been playing it? Like, have you been switching off on a per chapter basis? Have you been? This is the like, other wild thing that I think characters? makes the pacing thing a really hard thing to make universal statements about. <laughs> because yeah. I took a break, like. Saga was at this key moment where I'm like, I just can't keep exploring the fucking flooded area. I need to, I need to stare into this bucket of like <laughs> black oil and be sucked down back into Alan's world. Yeah. And I do a wild, 
section, a couple wild section in mm. Alan Wake world. And then I'm like, wow, that was a lot. I should check in on how Saga's doing. Saga had to go like 12 steps to the, like she basically gets in her car to go back to Bright Falls. Chapter ends, wild shit starts happening in Saga's world. Yeah. And so like I had this entire period oh, I was like, man, no. I'm playing this game for like two hours and like nothing's fucking happening. Oh, fuck. And then like it turns out both characters were on the cusp of like, okay, things are going things to just get completely off going. the chain here. Oh, wow. Uh, which wow. is a lot an of- interesting decision itself. Like the way they decided to structure this where it's like, mm-hmm. It would make sense, certainly, to do the, like, pass the action off where it's like, well, we completed the saga section here. Let's check in on Alan. But instead, it's like, I don't know. What what vibe are you feeling? Which uh, which of these two versions of the game, which reality do you want to inhabit here? No. Which is really cool, but also does create kind of this odd sensation of, like, there isn't necessarily this canonical structure of the game right. uh, in terms of, like, what's going to happen when. Right. It definitely yeah, that's what I was curious about when you said when you said pacing issues. Uh, Kata, you were saying I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's it's, it's definitely interesting. It, it, it does feel like there's like something that they might be like pushing towards, but there's like definitely narrative through lines that I feel like get uh, sort of heightened by the fact that you could play it in different orders, right? Like there's overlaps mm-hmm. between the two different worlds where like it's like oh. Uh, chron- chronologically, it's already messed up. Even if you were to just play uh one story than the other or something like that, but like going back and forth makes it even more confused in like an interesting yeah. way. I think I have had to send a lot of message in, in a Discord server, or I was for a while that Kato and I are in, where I was like, "Am I understanding when each story is happening properly?" Because like I'm, I'm not certain nope. if these are yeah, happening. No, I don't want to know anything about this question. <laughs> no, 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 I know. I'm saying that I don't have the. I haven't finished the game. Yeah. I, like I don't have the answer to this question yet. And so like I, I still don't know. And like the fact that a game is both mechanically and narratively making me question its chronology like this is, I think, like really, really unique and interesting. Um, Alan Wake Two really feels to me like. I feel like every Remedy game for the last like couple of years, people keep going, like even the ones they didn't like, I feel like this was said about Quantum Break to some degree, where people were like, well, everyone, we found the peak of the Remedy House style. And then every <laughs> single time there is a new editing technique or yeah. gameplay mechanic where you're like, oh, we actually haven't. Like this, is, the house, like it's not, it's, and it's never that like, oh, Remedy is like doing something fundamentally new with their game design or, or, or they have introduced a new element. And with every Remedy game, it feels like appealing away in terms of like, there has been a design ethos from like at least Alan Wake onward that you can see so clearly. And like the tech and money is catching up with where it feels like the ideas and like, design has been the entire time uh in a way that i've been like i'm like really excited about well no i mean i, th- I think i think like two things can be true like i mean the, the remedy started as an action studio right they made max Payne. like it had a like an interesting narrative style and approach but it's not what you were there for it lingered afterwards as part of the the legacy of max Payne was that like establishing of this house style, this like very specific form mm-hmm. of like very charming overwrought, like writing. I, that ends up like in retrospect being something that like, Oh wow, I guess this is a defining aspect of remedy. But at the time felt like 
Well, no, they made they made an like a, they turned the Matrix into a video game and then gave it a cool uh, story part to it. And I, I feel like we've come full circle, which is then around the Alan Wake era. Like Alan Wake is not particularly great action game. It's functional. But like, as we talked about, I think when Alan Wake 2 came out, it was like, maybe you don't want to go back. Like, you know, like it's not that fun to play. And Alan Wake 2 builds on control in which the, like they've continued to progress on the narrative stuff, but also the mechanical stuff is catching up where it's like Alan Wake now feels like a game that is harder to sell on the mechanics. Alan Wake 2, I think will be an easier sell on the mechanics 10 Mm -hmm. years from now. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they are, they are aligning on peeling back the the, the narrative stuff they've they've always been been great at, but also marrying that with gameplay that like meets the moment in a way that they've not always done. Like those two are harmonizing in a way that has not always been true yeah. of of remedy games. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's totally true, and like that is why like Alan Wake is clearly the best that they've done. I just I just find it funny that we keep having the. It feels like every Remedy game, the, the, the same thing happens, and there's always a new technique that, like, is cool or fascinating uh, that, like, pushes them just, like, a little bit further while all still feeling, like, deeply cohesive. Well, so I'm so, you know, I obviously have not made it to, like, the biggest moments. You know, I've I've heard illusions. You know, I've picked up enough from people losing it on, on social media to, like, have some, you know, something about music will be very cool at some point in this game. Right? Like, I've picked up enough on that stuff. But part of what makes me very excited about whatever they do next is like this was such a big swing and they just I haven't played it all the way through but like by all accounts knocked out of the park it's going to be one of like an all-time favorite game of mine by the end like what does a studio like that do at, you know what I mean like it, it does feel like they're quantum break part of the reason it didn't work was because it was Remedy trying to make a game under so many horrific constraints right okay but Patrick you and I streamed enough to know that that game worked that game worked just <laughs> fine. It worked despite itself, though, right? Like, Remedy up again, like, like the Microsoft structure, like, there's a better version of Quantum Break out there. And I think they there was enough of the Remedy-ness in there that it was it's still worth playing. I think it's better than people remember. Like, I would be happy to, like, play through more of that game at some point. But Alan Wake 2 feels like the most, like, distilled version of, like, what, like, what does Remedy want to do? And like Alan Wake to expresses it, and like what does a company then revisiting Control do with that? What like what what is like what does Remedy do beyond this is so exciting because it feels like the studio is like unchained in such a way that is just like really cool. To, like we've talked yeah. about like studios struggling, right? And I don't know the underlying economics of Remedy. I'm encouraged by the fact that we didn't talk about this in a previous episode, but like they were doing a live service game. And then they were like, um, yeah, we're going to take that stuff out. We're going to make it a, a co-op game. I think it was actually one of the, con- the one of the control uh, extensions that they're that they're working on, one of the multiplayer ones. Um, and so there you have a studio that is running away from some of the stuff that is having trouble maintaining traction in the industry. Um, it's like I don't know the underlying economics of Remedy, uh, but like if I look at Alan Wake Two, what it represents. Like it makes me so tremendously excited to see what they might do after that because it feels like they've got it. Like they they have like found something that is the something they've been working towards for literal decades. Maybe Alan Wake Two ends up being the best expression of it. Um, but even if they get something that's like most of the way there, uh, it's just really exciting to be a like a remedy fan, and also that so many other people now get it. Right? I feel like Alan Wake mm. Two has like helped a lot of people 
fucking get like what is so cool what have people like rob been like <laughs> screaming about for 20 years it's like alan wake 2 helps express that in a way that is so easy to understand even control has lots of mechanical issues like it has such a fucking awesome world it's still a pretty okay action game like it's it's better but like i think alan wake 2 gets so much closer to allowing the average person with no understanding of the remedy verse and all the like the narrative implications. Like what's so cool about what this studio does. Alan Wake 2 like checks all those boxes and it's still wildly accessible. Even if you are not familiar with Alan Wake one or control. Yeah. I think it does a good job of just being like a good ass story. Um, and I think saga is a big part of that. I don't think you do like you do saga partially because like, how do we get people into this world without, like them having played Alan Wake and Saga ends up like being a really good narrative way to pull that off. Yeah, I, I mean, it's also just like, I, I find it so like holistically, like as a holistic piece of design, Alan Wake, it's just like every part is talking to every other part so clearly that like, uh, and, and at a scale that you basically never see. I mean, like it's kind of almost the inverse of of the Avatar problem where, or, or not the inverse of, of the problem, but like where Avatar is has these two ideas that are just, like, completely fucking incompatible with each other and just, like, leading to this, like, incoherent uh, kind of design. Alan Wake 2 feels like every single member of that team was talking to every other single member of that team and ended up just producing something that is just, like, so in conversation with itself that it feels, like, almost singular uh, among among AAA games. Um, And, like... Well, no, just the thought that occurred to me as well is like, I think something that I really enjoy here as well uh, is that their games do sort of push outside. Like you'd argue like the FMV game spirit is strong in Alan Wake 2. Uh, and <laughs> like, and they find good, like they find good collaborators for this. Like uh, David Harewood is an actor I absolutely adore. I've adored him since, uh, like he played the eccentric boss character on a John Cho, uh, uh, like romantic comedy series selfie. But like he, he, he stood out cause it was like a really interesting comedic performer. And he plays this character, Mr. Door, uh, mm-hmm. in, in this. And like, this is a new character. I'm not sure he's been in previous remedy games, but like once you're in the, the remedy, like theater troupe, you tend to pop up in these <laughs> things more and more. Uh-huh. <laughs> And like it completely fits. It's like, okay, they found another performer and a role that like sparks something for this team and creates this like distinct vibe for Alan Wake 2 that is very different from Control. But you can see it's uh, like it shares a lot of similarities with the humor mm-hmm. and storytelling in Control. It's also a very distinct vibe from Alan Wake. Um, but yeah, like the 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 game itself feels like not only are there almost like two different games in here, there's also like multiple like modes of storytelling that yeah. it is engaging with and kind of pulling them all off, which mm-hmm. I think is probably distinct from Quantum Break, where like the mode shift didn't work fundamentally. It didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. It didn't enhance the enhance the experience. Here it does. It was a TV show and a video game. Here the FMV is functioning as like a narrative device. Like yes. it fe- it's like in the way that Ren said, like it feels like they're talking to each other. Like 
what they were attempting with Quantum Break was aligned with Xbox wanting to get into television. Like, Mm -hmm. it's why the Xbox One had, like, an HDMI in so that you could connect your, uh, you know, your Comcast box. Like, so I see where they were going and how that, and actually how Microsoft thought, like, oh, Remedy makes sense for this. They already do stuff like this. Like, like, I see the vision there, but they, functionally what you get in the end product is, like, I've played the video game. Now time to watch the, the kind of lower budget television series that mm-hmm. feels like it doesn't feel coherent in in the world it's charming in in itself because it's remedy they'll give them a, a studio space and like they'll they'll produce something interesting but here when you switch to the it doesn't feel like you're switching to the fm like it doesn't feel like oh here's the fmv segment you know what I mean? it doesn't feel like i'm watching alan wake the tv show it feels like it's just a different vote of visual storytelling right. that just like feels naturalistic in the world. Well, they've also been building up to this for at this point two decades, right? Like if we even going back to like Max Payne, that's Sam Lake's fucking face. That's that that's yep. his human face. You know, like they have been building this up the whole time in a way that like I personally again find really interesting. But I will say that like even Remedy is not like as much as we like to look at Remedy and be like, damn, this is what games could be. Even Remedy is not like unmired by like industry weirdness because like think about Max Payne 3, for example. Like like the like the Remedy's relationship even to the Max Payne property is fundamentally compromised by like their relationship to a publisher uh, and and to another development studio that got weird. Such they did that- this they did the single player story to a weird uh, like, like Korean shooter, right? Like Crossfire, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, like they were that. doing a live service game. I think their live service control game was like in collaboration with, or was like being funded by Nexon or, you know, like one of those, one of those companies. Like, yeah, they are not like, you can look at Alan Wake 2 and go, hey, like, wow, this is, mm, this is cinema. You know, this is video games. But then you look behind the curtain. It's like, well, how are they making all this work? Like, well, also Alan Wake 2, only exists because Epic Games was in, uh, like, right. wanted to punch Steam in the face. And, so, and like, th- like Alan Wake 2 probably does not exist unless Tim's, mm-hmm. the, like, egomaniacal Tim Sweeney wanted to piss on Valve. And so I'll take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, I don't think this game, fun- like, actually exists in this form, in this distilled essence, unless uh, Tim Sweeney wanted to like, claw away Distill his market value. all over Steam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we, wanted, we, and I needed a remedy game that when I clicked launch, twenty to thirty five seconds later, it would launch through the through the Epic Store launcher. Have you had this at all? Where like you click you click on the game in Epic, and like nothing happens, and then it's like cloud syncing, and then some indeterminate time period later, it's like all right, I'll launch. Listen, <laughs> Rob. I I think that everyone is is too mean to Tim Sweeney in this case. I think just pouring endless money into a yeah. platform that fundamentally doesn't work is a great idea. Just look at Vice. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, I but like I, I am really like I I have no idea how this game is doing. Like it's getting a lot of critical love. I have no idea what what sales are like. I hope that like. The overall vibe around the game is is matched by commercial performance, and that this they didn't produce a up- physical version on purpose, right, Rob? Like that, yep. like the reason there's not a physical product for Alan Two, and they were very upfront about this was financially, it does not make sense to us. Now, ultimately, are they going to make one of those? I bet. I bet it'll be a limited edition. They'll do it. Bal- I, I think we're going to move to a world kind of like Baldur's Gate Three, which is release it digitally, have the game be- become a success, and then you purchase the physical product later. Because you're already a fan 
Or they can put another art book out that I would pay like $500 for. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But like, it's, you're, you're right. Uh, On one hand, I like, Oh, Alan Wake too. Like it's amazing. So they're just going to do another one of these, right? It's like, I don't know. Epic is pulled out of funding games like this. Now they're not doing this anymore either. Epic games, like, is the closest thing to whatever we're calling the metaverse. And they're off laying hundreds and hundreds of people off and like running away from their, their acquisitions uh, that they did over the last couple of years. And so that's what I mean where it's like, I don't know what the future of remedy is, but like sit here, look at Alan Wake, appreciate it because we don't like remedy has been one of those companies that it's been, they've been lucky to get, I mean, they, you know, they're, they were a studio that was in a pretty bad place pre-control and the, critically, they're in a really great pace post control in Alan Wake too, but I don't know what that actually means for their ability to make whatever games they want going forward. I have I have no idea. Especially because like Alan Wake, 2, there are moments in Alan Wake two where I look at and I go, I don't want to know the budget. Like I, there are there are moments where I was like, cool, someone 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 signed a check for this uh, in a way that is like that doesn't really get to happen. The last thing I'll say about Alan Wake 2 that I've been thinking about with, like, talking about, like, Remedy's house style and, like, is I've been thinking a little bit about Sam Lake and the ways in which, like, Sam, like, one of the interesting things to see in, like, Alan Wake 2 and, like, is that, like, Sam Lake plays a character, uh, a different character from Max Payne. And I think that, like, one of the cool things about, like, the Remedy house style and like Remedy as a studio is the ways in which like a lot of studios have figureheads who like people talk about like for example people talk about like Warren Spector or like the, the original de- developers of, like Deus Ex or Thief as like singular figures right there's been a long-running problem in the industry uh where uh, entire studios are boiled down to a single creative head that then Tim gets Schaefer. all of the credit that right, s- sort of still exists at, at Double Fine to some extent Right. The thing I find interesting about Sam Lake and and Sam Lake's relationship to like Alan Wake uh, and to the other Remedy games is that like his function as a character and as like specifically as 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 a character that that you are supposed to know is a developer has like done so much work to like make the meta fictional commentary in Remedy's work yeah. so much stronger that like. At, at this point, like when people are talking about Sam Lake, they are talking about Sam Lake, the metafictional character in the expanded Remedy universe, as much as they are Sam Lake, the individual de- developer. And like, I think that is a really cool and unique thing that like could very easily be misread or could very easily be alternatively read as like there's just another developer figurehead. And instead, Remedy has kind of expanded that into a whole narrative device. And like, if there is a if there is a thing that has really impressed me about Remedy over the last like two decades, it has been their consistent choice to take circumstance and spin it into interesting narrative devices. Uh, that really feels like what happened with Control uh, yeah. and 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 like the relationship, the fact that they went from okay. Alan Wake's connected to Control to Alan Wake is connected to Control, is connected to Max Payne, is connected to (laughs) Quantum Break, and we don't own half of these properties is, like, such a unique thing in the industry and that is, like, embodied in a really interesting way in the character of Sam Lake in these games. Uh, Well, Patrick, you and I clearly need to play a bit more. And yes. I think, you know, come <laughs> I plan, in. I plan to between now and yes, I plan to between now and when we 
do our our game of the year. Uh, You're poised. Uh, like that stream's gonna be that stream's gonna be fun. Uh, people are gonna see you taking in some stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, before we go, we should dip into the question bucket uh, briefly. You can send us questions at questions at remapradio.com. Uh, this one comes from Jonathan from DC. Hi, remapsters. On a recent-ish podcast, Rob commented that he felt the pumpkin spice latte had gotten worse over the years. I needed to write in after hearing this because it has been my personal soapbox item for years. And not enough people are talking about the tragedy that has befallen pumpkin spice coffee over the past decade. The pumpkin spice latte was not invented by Starbucks, but as you all know, their version was popularized in the early 2000s. It was introduced as an autumnal attempt to replicate the success Starbucks had experienced with its winter holiday drinks and became a sensation. I myself became a huge fan and used to order the flavor syrup in bulk directly from Starbucks so I could make my own at home. Wow. In the 2010s, the pumpkin spice latte was the target of a social media furor. As food bloggers pointed out that Starbucks did not actually include any real pumpkin in their ingredients. What? After months of attention over this, the Starbucks triumphantly (laughs) announced that they were listening. And from 2015 onward, the pumpkin spice latte now includes real pumpkin pumpkin puree. The problem? Pumpkin spice refers to, well, pumpkin spice. The spice. This is a combination of spices that are frequently used to season pumpkin pie and other pumpkin-based goods. Side note, often the best pumpkin pie is not made with pumpkin at all, but like like squash, right? Like this is, you can get better results with with that uh, than than pumpkin. Anyway, you can can find it at your local grocery store. It's usually a mix of nutmeg, clove, cinnamon, etc. It complements the pumpkin flavor. What does this mean? The pumpkin spice latte was never meant to include real pumpkin. To begin with, <laughs> Starbucks gesture toward authenticity in response to well-intentioned criticism introduced pumpkin puree to a drink that was previously defined by the autumnal spices, not the squash itself. This rash overreaction by Starbucks is bad enough on its own, but has by extension ruined a huge swath of similar pumpkin coffees as competitors and imitators try to keep pace with Starbucks and show that they too are wise enough to include pumpkin in their pumpkin spice coffee drinks. And so now we're plagued by countless drinks that contain pureed squash instead of pleasant spices. It's a flavor crime, one that hurts me and many others deeply. And I thank you for your time and attention. That's <laughs> thank you for speaking truth to power on this podcast. I mean, listen as a former as listen as a former Starbucks as a former Starbucks partner, uh, I'm listening and learning personally. Um, and so thank you for bringing this to my attention. Are you, are, is everyone aware of the Panera drink that's killing people? Yeah. No. Which one is Wait, it? Is, is, it the, is it the is it the papaya green tea? It's it's Ooh, one it's of their it's a lemonade, lemon tea um, caffeinated yes, drinks. I'm familiar with this. I'm familiar with the. I had a papaya green tea all the time, and it's Panera right next bread charged lemonade. Blame for second death lawsuit alleges um, second find, second yes. Um. Panera's advertised as charged lemonade as, quote, plant-based and clean with as much caffeine as our dark roast coffee. At 390 milligrams of caffeine, a large 30-fluid-ounce charged lemonade has more caffeine in total than any size of Panera's dark Jesus roast coffee. Jesus Christ! The legal complaints say. The large cup contains more than the caffeine content of standard cans of Red Bull and Monster Energy drinks combined, plus the equivalent of nearly 30 teaspoons of sugar, the complaints say. Um, I believe both... 
uh, deaths have been uh, tied to like folks that couldn't like were unaware they were consuming that a caffeinated ca- product and oh liked the God. taste of it. And then essentially it induces a heart attack um, after which was, and this was like something that was happening uh, like co- high school and college kids were having heart attacks back when al- alcoholic, uh, you know, oh, what was the, the, most, the one that got banned? Vodka re- yeah. Oh, for local, local. the four loco era was, is this is like an extension of that. Um, like I, I first, this first came on my radar from like a TikTok that went viral over a mm-hmm. woman who was losing her mind in her car yeah. because she was like, like, like her body was like losing yeah. it because she finally realized like, why am I so anxious? It's because I'm drinking these fucking Panera drinks that I like the taste of and didn't, she doesn't drink coffee. Like she doesn't, she's not a caffeine, caffeinated person. Um, and then has these, has a couple of them. And all of a sudden oh, like feels boy. like her brain is on fire. Um, I think Panera has since added like a, like a descriptor. that's like, Hey, this is not for children, but, but they should probably take this shit off a of shelf. This is what they, what they should yeah, do. There's, yeah. Cause well, like you, you, there's, you read that description where it said 390 milligrams of caffeine, but you didn't read the next line, which is the Food and Drug Administration says <laughs> healthy adults can safely consume 400 milligrams of caffeine a day. So you're well, only 10 under in the first drink. So, <laughs> like, also, it's, the other thing that's worth noting is that, like, we're also talking about, like, quantity of liquid here, which is, like, the other yes. thing that, like, I think people, yes. that is, like, because, like, what you specifically said is 390 milligrams in a 30-ounce beverage, yeah. which, like, both is and is not a lot larger than you think it is. Like, <laughs> uh, speaking as a, a big, si- I mean, Patrick. <laughs> We've mm-hmm. talked, it's been, a, it's been a minute since I've been here, but yeah. you and I have talked at length. I'm a big sipper. Yes. And I would be fucked by this drink. I would be, <laughs> I would be fucking obliterated because I love to take a big sip and I would not know what I was doing. I would be so sick. I would well, get such a the, bad tummy This ache. is the problem of like, if something is too, like there, there's some like drinks where the thing, the only thing that like makes them safe at all is the fact that there's some sort of like factor about them that makes them resistant to you drinking a dangerous amount right mm-hmm. like the hard liquor is just physically hard to get down like unless you're like a real pro i'm not saying like oh nobody can get <laughs> like alcohol poisoning from hard liquor but you know what i mean it's like yes unless you're like really seasoned and like you know probably on two inured to like the harshness of hard liquor like sitting there with like drinking straight whiskey that's probably going to be kind of slow for you. Like you can do shots, but like you're probably gonna make yourself sick before like you can get in real trouble with it. Like, yes, alcohol poisoning is a real thing, but for most people, it's going to be hard to put themselves in real danger with this stuff because like there's so many factors about like, you know, hard liquor that's going to resist you. But when you create delivery vehicles for tons of alcohol that are completely crushable and, you know, (laughs) go down smooth and easy and there's no real sense of like, I'm consuming a lot of alcohol. That's recipe for like real danger. This is, you know, why a lot of mixed drinks that show up at college parties are like incredibly dangerous. Jungle because, juice. Yeah. Which is have, like it's a <laughs> jungle juice is the, the thing they would serve in college that uh, I forget what actually the underlying, but like it masked, it masked plastic bottle. Like, like, like you ev- know, Everclear clear punch uh, yes, would, be, yes, would be another yes. thing where it's like, this yeah. thing is like, delicious and you would be floored by how much alcohol is in it because you can, yes, you can drink it like a big gulp from seven 11 and it has more alcohol than like, you know, four or five shots of, of whiskey. <laughs> don't, 
people do this with fucking soju all the time. Like, isn't this like famously what people do? Like, get f- absolutely fucking obliterated on soju because it tastes good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's part of the, part of the reason I don't. Uh, I tend to not get uh, iced coffee even in the summer because I end up drinking iced coffee functionally similar to a soda, and so I just yep. sh- I slurp. It just whoop. It's just gone. And so I will, unless it is the hottest of days, tend to still get hot coffee because I drink it slowly over like it's exactly what you're talking about, Rob, like much like drinking a bourbon or something like the like the actual act of drinking slows the pace because otherwise, if I'm to drink an iced coffee at the pace that I drink, you know, a Coke, I I, like my hands are going to get shaky and I'm not going to get the functional effect and I'm not going to enjoy it. So I do it every once in a while, but I I find myself shying away from it because the actual act of drinking it is is different than how I want to consume the beverage. Well, here it just sounds like it doesn't, you know, they're not they're not effectively delivering the message that like, no. hey, no. this is our like all fucked up on caffeine lemonade to the people ordering it. <laughs> uh, and like it just sounds like that's a lot of caffeine for something it sounds like if you're thirsty with all that sugar it seems like you could just slurp this down and be like, yeah. you know, I could do one more of those. And physically you can't apparently, but yeah, this is, uh, that's, that's really horrible. That is, that is unfortunate. Yeah. It's bad. Um, Cause yeah, yeah it's, bad. it's one of those things where like, again, it's hard to get in trouble. Like cold brew has a little bit of this, right? Sometimes people are like, I can just like crush cold brew. It's so smooth. Down it goes. It's like, that's a ton of caffeine that you're, that, that you're getting down. A hot cup of coffee, you know, just the you're going to be slowly sipping through it uh, yep. and that's going to moderate your intake a bit. Yeah. Do we? It doesn't do we even know matter if, how quickly you do this is is the issue, too. It's just like it's still hitting. You're still hitting the, the maximum that the FDA says you should drink with just one sitting. Right. Well, like, the FDA don't know shit. Um, uh, sure, I was gonna say, the FDA also still. says that I shouldn't that I shouldn't have a steak like medium rare. So it's like it's it's you're yeah. right. You're right. Like. The guardrails exist for a reason, but also Rob is also right that like. Mm, well, I, you should, like, when you talk about cardiac arrest, you're talking about like intake over time, right? Like yeah, this is yeah. the thing. Like, yes, habitually, you shouldn't be drinking this much caffeine. But <laughs> what sounds like is happening is people are just like spiking their heart rate to uh, dangerous levels. Yeah. Yeah, but like the, the fu- but like the design, the function of the drink is to be drank habitually. Like, like, I guess, I guess like that's kind of the qualm is that like, sure. It's a soda. It's meant like, come, come get a refill. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not like they you're ordering some high class drink that cost me $25. Don't tell me there are not charged lemonade refill machines. Please yes, tell the, me. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Pan- Dude, it's if you go to a Panera pan- and you're like, can I get a drink? They'll ha- they hand you a cup and then you walk to the machine with the drinks and then you hold it there. Like, yeah. dude, you can have so much of this. That was the the car lady was specific thing was that she, she had would, three of them. She just kept going she up would and getting a refill. She would sit there and work all day. And she's like, I get so much work done when I work at Panera. What's going on? <laughs> and she didn't know that she was imbibing that much caffeine over the like, yeah, like the, at the, whole at the day. very least, it should be probably something that is dispensed behind the counter and like mm-hmm. th- there's like an actual you know limit or something like that. Sim- functionally similar to you know a bartender in theory saying you've been overserved like you know that that or just take it off. It's just a fucking lemonade. <laughs> now I do have a quick clarifying question. How mm. long until we get to the moral panic 
about yeah. this lawsuit because I, I mean, like, you know, there's the classic McDonald's coffee moral panic, which was later revealed to be that woman was seriously fucked up, like, like really badly. <laughs> and like, I, I am, I am curious to see how this one hits the discourse. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, generally I, I brought it up because I think the discourse around it has been Panera. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Which is the opposite of the, uh, uh, the McDonald's situation, right? right? Where this, it was like this, Oh, it's just another like, like crazy lawsuit, like just trying to claw away some money. And then I think it was that documentary, right. That like really uh, yeah. ended up explaining to a lot of people, um, that you no, know, actually McDonald's was mm-hmm. totally couple and like, actually like hot coffee in general was too hot. And like there was there were serious oh, really? problems there. Sorry, I didn't know about that finding at the end of like that lawsuit. Is it like hot coffee? Gen- we I think there was I think there was something broadly. specifically wrong with that McDonald's on that day that like yeah. she had an unusually hot cup of coffee uh, just because of some issues with their machine uh, and how it was dispensed. But like, huh? Yeah, they they determined that like in general, McDonald's was like what they were handing across to people in the car was like. It's considerably in excess of any safe temperature for a hot beverage uh, where there's a where there's a significant risk of well, really like uh, like you shouldn't you shouldn't be drinking it. Uh, it's just too hot to drink, uh, but too, too, too dangerous uh, in case of a spill. Also, it's just not good. Like you have to like co- coffee temperature is important. Like I know McDonald's coffee already kind of fucked. This but we, like, yeah, but ran this for the nineties, right? Like so, <laughs> this is like, but legitimately, like coffee it's culture completely West. changed what people, right. as we all learned from the James Hoffman Great American Taste Test video, uh, where like <laughs> he breaks down flavor preferences and discovers that like the older you are, the more you like dark roasts, and he's like, I don't think it's because of aging. I think it's because if you were in that age bracket, for you, coffee was dark and bitter. Yeah, they burn mm. the shit. Out. Like that's the thing is that like media, like dark, like dark roast can be good, and dark roast is good for espresso. But like a medium roast will probably be more appealing to the vast majority of people because again, dark roast they burn the shit out of it. <laughs> like it is, it is. And honestly, I have nostalgia for, for toxic dark roast. To be clear, like <laughs> my my father in law would serve, like he would find the oiliest, nastiest Pete's coffee, yeah. and at Christmas time he'd be like, "Hey." I put another pot on and Ugh. it would just be like this pitch black, viscous, like skin of coffee oils Ugh. on the top of it. Drink and just like all darkness, all bitterness. You're mm-hmm. like, I just need anything else to. Yeah. I, I, I need some sort of citrus. I need I need, I need some sort of sweet. And I love it. God help me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it can be it can be fun. It can be it can be fun and flirty as a treat. <laughs> yeah, but but I but I do think Ren, like it was a case where in that era it was just like coffee is a disgusting like bitter beverage whose function is to be a like scalding hot caffeine delivery vehicle to wake you the fuck up so you can get on with your day, and I feel like coffee culture shifted so that like nobody would serve coffee that way and expect that to be a, to be a popular be, seller. Yeah. <laughs> Have a have your quick fuck you sip and get along with your day. <laughs> well, now I don't know. Unless I'm like, look, the Mick Cafe is not the worst place to go get a cup of coffee these days if you're on the road. Also, listen, we've we've had fuck you sips before, like like in person, like filming, like when we've done like in person streams, we all have a fuck you. Are sip we talking about that. the orange Jameson again? It's not all. It's. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a little sippy, little sippy orange Jameson. Yeah. Hey guys, should we do? Do we? Should we do a round of uh, do orange Jameson shots orange before Jameson. we start doing? Before we finish setup. <laughs> oh. Do some orange. Ja- Orange Jameson really does have some sp- have have some uh, what is it cracked lemonade? Is that what they call it? it? Does. Like it's a Fortnite character. <laughs> charge, <laughs> charge, 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 charge lemonade. <laughs> no, I think I felt cracked level two. That was the thing. Uh, I believe uh, cracked level two after I had that Orange Jameson. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, you, you have to crack their main shields and then you have to get the level right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, that will do it for for today. I hope you've hope you've all learned something. Now, to be clear, you should of course respect FDA guidelines. You know, those are, <laughs> sort of like, take those seriously. Oh my god! Uh, you know, that's there for your safety. I'm not saying <laughs> mm-hmm. that like you should or even safely can. No, have. cook that steak all the way through. Yeah, you want that? You got to make sure. You yeah, hit. you want it to be brown. Uh, yeah. You want to make sure uh, no pink. Yeah, you got to achieve 212 degrees at the center. I was 212? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not many people talk about the fact that a lot of pieces of meat were formerly dark roast and you would burn <laughs> outside of them completely and then kind of chew on the hunk at the it's middle. It's true. When I would go to the was... Dunkin' Donuts in the 90s, I would get a, get a hot cup of joe and also a, a really fully cooked steak. <laughs> Right, right now. Oh, no, no. Just, uh, excuse me, can I get your finest briquettes? <laughs> Steak on a stick. A, la- a layer of coal fired smog def- descends over the city. McRib is back. Uh, all right, that concludes another episode of Remap Radio. The theme song is by Tumelo. You can check out his work on tumelo.net. You can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. This week, Patreon subscribers get to hear Patrick Cotto taking stock of Final Fantasy Tactics uh, ad-free. Your support also lets us set time aside for streaming. This week, Cotto and I picked up our Motorsports Manager save and discovered that in the final weeks of working advice, we basically started treating that campaign like we were never going to have to continue it. <laughs> you sure did. I remember. Yeah, yeah, we I have mean, a some... real, we have a real mess to clean up. Uh, so by, by like the time a challenge. you listen to this, yeah, I, I, yes, we, we posed our, you know what? It's like we designed a really fun scenario yeah. for ourselves that like later it's like, Oh, I would never have like started a game in this position, but what a position to find yourself in. Uh, Four million in the fucking hole. Completely revital. Completely. I don't know. I don't know. Genuinely, I'm like, I don't remember. No, I know what we did. We bought um in between in in between seasons. You can make capital investments in Motorsports Manager. Things that are like require require saving up for years to do it. Like I'm gonna yes, I'm gonna build a racetrack on the grounds of my corporate headquarters. I mentioned the saving up for years part. Kado and I basically put one on credit, and (laughs) yeah, so we'll see. Uh, by the time you listen to this, we will also have the VOD from our Game Game Awards talk over stream uh, available. Uh, Ren, anything you want to plug and pitch before we call it a day here? Uh, in terms of like plugging, honestly, I, I don't have much, but I will start streaming soon. Uh, I kind of took the last two months off due to some like health uh, stuff, uh, but I'm going to start streaming soon. Uh, the AC6 videos should be out soon. I just made a Patreon post like kind of explaining where I, explaining the, the bout of radio silence, which I am deeply apologetic for. Uh, but otherwise, like I don't have anything immediately, uh, to pitch. 
All right. And we will be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. I think one of the, the final regular episode yeah. of Remap Radio for the year. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us. Fuck capitalism. Go, go home. Go easy on the charged lemonade or any drink that someone says is like it's charged or spiked or wild just just you know anytime it's like a normal drink but like it's a little bit twisted but it's kick-ass yeah just, just take just take a minute and be like hey what's in this charged spiked cracked or slapped don't put it in that mouth <laughs> oh no oh no